Welcome, everyone. I wanted to welcome our physical bodies into this room, uh, our different gender expressions, our different histories, histories, whether we're um, from this country, born in this country, or from another country, whether English is our first language or it isn't, whether we might have been veterans or non-not-veterans, whether we grew up in Jewish or Christian or Catholic or atheist or Wiccan traditions or uh, none of those. Uh, and I wanted to welcome all the feelings and emotions uh, and mind spaces and energies that might be right now living inside of you. That so much of this journey that we are on together is about welcoming in all that is living inside of us and greeting all those places. Often, even though we're in a community, there are places where we feel lonely or alone. in our particular expression of life. Uh, I wanted to welcome that, that loneliness or aloneness in the room and whatever else is living, all of it is welcome. And This day is really an invitation to explore in the field of our caring and love places that live inside of us that are often unexplored so that we might hold those places in love and see more clearly uh, what's beautiful and nourishing that we can sustain, and what isn't, what isn't serving us, what is an obstacle to the opening of our hearts and minds. So I consider this day a day that really is about Dharma practice or the liberation of the heart and mind and body. We don't want to leave the body out. (laughs) So... um, I, before I say any more, I want to uh, deeply acknowledge common ground and all the effort that has gone to make this day a reality. I know many of you have worked hard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, all of you, board, all of you that helped to make this day possible. It feels like an honor to um, come into so much beautiful effort 
and your courage in coming here. I feel honored to be here, so thank you. So before I even go on to talk about the rest of the day and what's going to happen, I would like to invite you into a dyad. That means to turn to someone next to you and take five minutes each to talk about what beautiful quality or energy you've inherited from your family, your ancestors, your lineage. If um, your blood family doesn't do it for you, you can think of some other family, maybe the people you've played um, sports with or something else. It does it wherever you feel family. Um, what have you inherited? What beautiful energy. So, for example, um, last night I shared that my parents had been very active in the anti-apartheid struggle in South Africa. And they both exhibited or um, expressed tremendous courage in the face of being imprisoned and everything else that happened. And so I've inherited courage, a lot of courage from them, just to inspire you to look at what you've inherited. So um, um, please, uh, um, just before I do that, I realize I forgot something important. I wanted, I know you know Shelley, but I wanted to acknowledge she is my um, support person sitting up here and um, deeply appreciate her willingness to companion uh, us in um, facilitating the journey today. So thank you, Shelley. Okay, so now's the time to turn to someone you're sitting next to. If you have a choice, talk to someone you don't know, and even if it means you have to move. And um, I'm going to ring the bell after five minutes. So we are going to count off um, into small groups so that you can introduce yourself in a group and what quality that um, you explored because we don't have time to hear everyone in a large room. And I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. Um, so we're going to start counting off. You know, I've changed my mind. <laughs> Before we go into the groups, I wanted to go I wanted to set some guidelines that make sense for our sharing. So ascribe. Steve. I, for some reason this is not hanging out that well. Let me see what I can do. So um, we're going to be doing a lot of sharing through this day, and it is very helpful to. It's very helpful to um, 
take a moment to think about what would make this a safe space. Is this really loud? Are you okay with this volume? Yeah. So, so let's um, just take a moment. What would make this a safe space for you? What, what agreement would you like to suggest? Yes. Confidentiality. No feedback. I, you know, I actually wonder if we could make an agreement about that because I'm here to give feedback. So, and some of the facilitators are as well. So, um, when we're in a particular type of sharing of going around in a circle, there will be some times when there will be um, just sharing and witnessing and no feedback, but other times there will be feedback because that's one of the ways we're going to learn together. So um, how about um, uh, we'll do some other agreements and then you can see if it addresses some of your concerns. Yes, practice eye focus. Will that do it? Practice eye focus or self-focus. Practice self-focus. Yes. Listening without sort of an obligation to be obligation. Deep listening without social obligation. Lovely. So one other really lovely one is be aware of intention and impact that we might have good intentions, but what we say might land negatively for others. And so we hold both that we had a good intention and it landed negatively. It impacted someone negatively. That's something we as a community are going to learn about today. So holding intention, intention and impact. Um, Yes. Thank you. When we do introductions, share how you, what gender pronoun you would like to be called. Um, I'd like to offer another one. It's okay to disagree. We try to refrain from blaming and judging. So, okay to disagree not okay to blame, judge, or attack others. Uh, anything else? What would make it safe for you? Yes. Hearing all voices. Hearing all voices. Thank you very much. How about stepping forward and stepping back? Everyone practice stepping forward to share and then stepping back so that all voices can be heard. Uh, yes? Okay not to speak. It's fine to pass. Thank you. Yes? There's a difference between feedback and advice giving. Great, great. Difference between feedback and advice. Tell me why advice isn't helpful. Why isn't advice helpful? Yes, why isn't advice helpful? Well, we can uh, stop 
Great, great, thank you. What else? Why did you, yes? Uh, it, gives, it gives me the feeling that I'm doing something wrong. Okay, great, great, great. Lovely. Thank you. Okay, it's okay to make mistakes. We're all going to be making a lot of mistakes today because we are co-creating a new understanding. It's not like there is this correct, um, uh, correct and unchanging set of learnings that are encrypted somewhere and that where we will will be measured against. That isn't like it at all. We are wanting to create, to co-create communities and cultures that reflect um, our diversity in ways that have integrity and are nurturing and supportive and respectful. And we're looking at the ways we've inherited conditioning that stops that from happening. How we do it, how we here at Common Ground do it, it's not happened before and it won't happen again because we here are in a unique space within a unique community. So we're co-creating something together. That means we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to learn from each other. What feels so important about saying, I'm willing to be here and I'm willing to look at some of the ways that I've been acting out that have been painful unknowingly to myself and painful to others, knowingly painful to others. That is, that others feel the impact of that. That that willingness to uncover is so beautiful because we've never done it before, and we, we might have done it in other situations with other people, but here in this moment, it's new. And there's something really lovely about being willing as a community to say, yes, we're co-creating common ground together and we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But we want to learn. And in order to learn, we're going to make mistakes. So just like Madame Curie said that 99.5% of all her experiments were failures, but it was through those failures she learned that really describes my own journey of being a white, a white woman, is that I've learned through my failures and mistakes. So it's okay to make mistakes, okay? One other thing, if something lands negatively for you, please say ouch so that we know it. Please don't walk out of the room feeling bad and not letting us know. And lastly, please don't leave without telling me because I care and I don't want you to leave unless I know and, and we can ground about your leaving. And, um, 
I really don't want you to leave without some kind of uh, interaction happening. Um, I'm going to talk some more when we come back from the group, but for now, how does all that sound to you? Is that, yeah, this is the time to speak up? Great, yes. Right, 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 yeah. I know. It's like, which comes first? And I'd like, what I'd like to do is to invite you to introduce yourself to your group, which you're going to go into now, and then when you come back, I'm going to introduce myself to you and go into the Dharma part. Thanks for bringing it up. Thank you. It's like, which one do I do first? (laughs) Yes. How was, how was that in your small groups? Was it nice to hear a little bit about some of the beautiful qualities you've inherited? Hmm. Uh, I have people nodded. That's good enough right now. <laughs> no, no. Do what? Do you, do we have the mic? Do you have something you'd like to share? Well, um, just there was a sudden question that I don't think about. And so I feel that I've come up with a couple of things, but I'm sure it's just scratching the surface. I mean, it's to me, it's like the beginning of an inquiry rather than that I really yes. figured Thank that you. out. Yeah. It is. It's the beginning. And actually, last night was all about um, focusing on our beautiful qualities and taking that as a practice. And as we look, at um, the places that we've inherited that uh, come from ignorance and delusion, it's so important at the same time to hold the um, heritage of what's beautiful. Uh, See, this is like just, yeah, we're having a hard time with the mic. Yeah, I know, I know. It just keeps moving. Okay, so... Um, so, um, you, those of you who um, uh, have been practicing for a while know there is this balance between cultivating compassion and loving-kindness and... Um, Uh, equanimity and joy and friendship and companioning and also the capacity to bring awareness or mindfulness, inquiry into what's happening in our experience. And we see as we do that some of the obstacles. 
we not only see what is beautiful, which is our faith, our generosity, our courage, our patience, our ethical practice, that gift of fearlessness to ourselves and others, but we also see our greed, our obsession, our wanting, our our craving, our addictions. We see our fear, our judgment, our shame. We see our anxiety, our restlessness, our depression, our sloth, our torpor. We see our doubt. And the Buddha named those as obstacles, as obstacles to the path. Maybe if I take this off, because something keeps catching it. For all those qualities that the Buddha has spoken about so beautifully and that we have noticed, there are social repercussions, there are cultural repercussions. It's not that those energies just live inside of us, but that they get expressed relationally. They get expressed culturally and structurally. So... Just like when you put a pebble, you drop a pebble in water, there are these waves that spread out. For every moment of caring, you already acknowledge that, the caring of your lineage, of your parents. You felt that. You felt the ripples of it and how it landed for you and the blessing of that. So, too, is the impact and the ripples of ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know, give me the hand mic. I'm just going to use the hand mic. Great. So, how's that? Is that good? Yeah, great. Much better, I know. So, having named that a little bit. Let me place myself in that. So you know my name probably, Arena Wiseman. I was born in South Africa and I um, grew up in a Jewish family and my parents were um, uh, from Lithuanian and Russian descent And like many Jews in South Africa, were progressive. And as the apartheid regime became more structured and more repressive, there were many white allies, including my parents, um, who were called to fight against that. And so... I experienced the contradiction of living as a white person with incredible privilege. It was, um, who's been to South Africa? Yeah, yeah, so a few of you. Um, 
the amazing conditioning of superiority and entitlement. Uh, And on the other hand, at the same time, because of my parents' activism and because they were arrested, tremendous harassment by the police. And while they were in jail and then when they came out of jail, so both experiencing what it's like to be very entitled and privileged, and I see that living inside of myself over and over again, and also what it's like to be unsafe and targeted. And really, it was living with that contradiction so clearly that called me to the Dharma. How do I live with these different expressions of suffering and beauty? The beauty of an activist movement, of, of, of some whites but many Africans giving their lives, their efforts, their work for freedom. To live with that and to live with a state that is based on oppression and violence. How, how do I make sense of that? How do I hold that in my heart? And I can say that I've spent my life, I'm just giving you a little bit, there were many, many difficult experiences that, that held both, both parts that brought me first to the Dharma and then to include this work in our Dharma practice. So, I, I am just so respect the places where each one of us has experienced suffering because I know what it's like for myself to have carried the suffering that I've carried. And I so respect the capacity that each one of us has to heal that, that incredible capacity that is so beautiful. So we are today acknowledging one aspect of suffering and the capacity to heal that. Let me go back to... um, I, now I realize this isn't exactly in the right place. Let's, can, um, can you, Jamie, can you put it back on the thing so maybe more people, or maybe you can just like hold it up for everyone to see my, my terrible handwriting. My terrible handwriting. Let me, how, how are you hearing? Where are you? Can you hear me? Who's, who's, yeah, good. Yes, good. I want to make sure you can hear. So this, so I want to, um, I want to acknowledge what we're doing in the context of the Buddha's teaching. The capacity for ignorance is structured in each one of us, unless we happen to be a Buddha, um, and that might be different. I don't know, but unless for most of us all of us in this room, we have the wiring to be ignorant. Uh, could you, Jimmy, could you just show people over here? It, it's, we have the wiring to be ignorant. Everyone has this wiring. 
everyone has the wiring to be ignorant. That is to be deluded, to be confused, to experience restlessness, anxiety, shamelessness. That means doing wrong without remorse. That everyone has this capacity. And we know that already because we've seen that, right? We also have the capacity for faith, for awareness, for kindness and compassion, for right concentration, for determination, ardor, patience, energy. We have the capacity for holding and cultivating the beautiful energies. We, I'm acknowledging what you know already, we have both living inside of us. We have both. And our understanding as Dharma practice is to see where there is confusion or ignorance, where there is misunderstanding or shamelessness or fear or envy or craving or addiction or greed, and to see how those energies obscure clarity, close down the heart, and are suffering. And also to cultivate the qualities that liberate us from the hold of those energies, to cultivate awareness and loving kindness and faith, faith being actually the first, the forerunner of all those other qualities, which you all have, otherwise you wouldn't be here. That faith in our capacity to be, I'm just saying this generically good, to be kind, to be present. When we are caught in delusion, that energy ripples out and gets fed again in a loop. So one of the ways that delusion has been created and fed back is how particular groups of people are, are disempowered and are stopped from having access to resources and decision-making and power that other groups have. So, for example, there, are, there is an expression of delusion and ignorance as sexism, as racism, as homophobia, as ableism, as classism, as um, xenophobia, that is hatred of um, people who are different from us, immigrants, as um, ableism, as uh, anti-Semitism, as anti, the anti, is there a word for it? Anti-Muslim, anti-Islam feelings. That is an expression culturally of delusion individually. That we have been brought up and inherited unconsciously these dynamics because we have the wiring of delusion. And it's the wiring of delusion that holds that unconscious conditioning into place. Right? Does that make sense? It is our faith, our love, and our awareness that is also living inside of us that is calling us to challenge delusion, which is what 
the practice of the Dharma is. The particular ignorance and delusion of what I'm going to umbrella as oppression, as inequity, as systemic inequity, the particular dynamic of oppression is clearly known when we are in a target community. So if, if those of us are women or queer or people of color or differently abled or if English isn't our first language, if we're Jewish or Muslim and not Christian or Protestant, if we um, haven't um, graduated from school, if um, we're a veteran, if we are non-gendered or, or trans, it is clear to us where we are not receiving equal access, where we're not being respected, where we are being systemically victimized. That's clear. When we're in the privileged group, we don't know that's what we're doing. We don't know we are holding that dynamic into place because the nature of privilege is that the conditioning is unconscious and normalized. That's just a quality of privilege in the same way that water is wet or that salt is salty. Privilege is normalized and unconscious. So we are taught through the mechanism of delusion to believe, to act, to own certain qualities, energies, and behaviors that we take as normal, but actually shut down our heart because they're based in delusion and have a profoundly negative impact in our relationships and in society. You know, it's just beautiful to name because going back to our um, going back to our thing thanks Jamie you could probably put it down now thanks so much going back to no shame no blame no judgment this isn't about shaming ourselves or blaming ourselves for the places where we are privileged now we're looking particularly at being white but rather understanding it Inquiring, just as the Buddha asks us to inquire in what is unskillful, what is actually contributing to my and other people's suffering. No shame, no blame. Just in the same way when we meet a hindrance in our meditation practice, we're like, oh, right, that is anxiety and restlessness. Oh, yeah, I know that so well. That's one of my... Very constant companions, anxiety and restlessness. And it is amazing to me because I fly out twice a month, 10 to 11 months a year to teach. And whenever I fly out, I notice at the morning of when I'm flying, oh, anxiety and restlessness, you have come to visit me again. It's some deluded misunderstanding that by being anxious, I'm going to catch my plane. <laughs> that, 
that somehow it, I've been conditioned, it's fascinating to me because I see it over and over again, that if I'm just anxious enough, that'll help me be on time, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But it's so lovely to see so that when I see it, I can begin to unhook from that dynamic. The same is true of the dynamics of privilege that we're going to explore. As we turn our awareness and attention and caring to those dynamics, we begin to see, oh, I see how this isn't serving me anymore. And that I actually have a choice. It's not because... I, so let me think, let me say, um, uh, it's not because I pity the target group when I'm in a privileged location, although that's part of the education. It's that I am called by my own love to love more in places where there isn't love. I am called by my love and wisdom to disengage from dynamics or to challenge dynamics that not only oppress my own heart but oppress whole peoples that I've been unconsciously aware of contributing to. And just as I know how appreciative we are of the Dharma and having access to the Dharma, that I have this deep appreciation for beginning to see more clearly in the Dharma of these places that don't always get named by um, uh, our Dharma culture, not because it isn't part of the Dharma, but because most of the teachers who have been teaching and carrying on the Dharma, have been in privileged positions and haven't seen the dynamics of their own privilege. So just a place where there hasn't been wisdom, which there are many places inside of us. So we would be fully awakened, right? We would be Buddhas. So we're on a learning journey. So... Let's just take a moment to sit with what I've just shared. Thank you. I wanted to um, then acknowledge more the process. That's sort of the framework. And I want to begin with um, a story. Uh, I had a friend who came to share the story with me. She was um, uh, brought, uh, living as a child in the south, in, the, in here, one of the southern states. And she got on a bus with her mother and as a young child wanted to go to the back of the bus. And her mother 
grabbed her arm strongly, pulled her back towards the front, and said, "Don't you ever, ever go to the back of the bus?" and slapped her. She said she never remembered this until she came to a workshop on white privilege. The ways that we have learned to be white have been greased with shame and judgment and blame. I want to acknowledge that because it is painful as we open up to uncover some of these places. We touch those places of shame, of of blame, of judgment, of belittlement. Often we think there's something wrong with us because those are the feelings that are coming up, but that is part of the process of healing: is to open to how we have been conditioned. To these places, all the many, many messages that we have received about what to do and what not to do, when it comes to being white, did not come in an environment of caring, because the kind of conditioning that happens into entitlement and superiority can't happen with love. It's just. Those two things are antagonistic, so it's painful, sometimes very painful or uncomfortable, at the very least, to begin to explore the subject. As we explore our privilege, we automatically also uncover the places where we've been targeted, the places where we've been. Disrespected, or bullied, or excluded, or being made invisible—that too has been a very painful process. Why I asked you to spend so much time. Thinking about and sharing your beautiful qualities is because it's so important to hold this process with those beautiful qualities. To know that it is our courage, or our love, or our ethical behavior, or our patience, or whatever it is that we know we've been blessed with particularly, that allows us. To open to and hold the grief or pain or discomfort or embarrassment of the conditioning process of privilege and of disempowerment. In the same way, in your meditation practice, when you hit difficult places. Your teacher probably says, "If you need to take a break, fine, take a break, but come back, come back, because it is by bringing our group awareness and our individual awareness to these places that they are healed. 
And that is one of the most profound gifts we can bring to ourselves and our communities, is the work of healing these places so that we don't unconsciously reproduce them anymore. What a gift. It really is the gift of safety, which is one of the most beautiful gifts the Buddha said we can give to each other, this gift of safety. So then let's just take another moment to um, come back to our bodies. And whatever feels grounding to you, your breath or sound or sensations. Acknowledging what is in the mind. See as you come back if there is friendliness in your intention to meet yourself with presence. May I hold. Whatever is happening for me right now, whatever is predominant, May I hold you with caring. May I be present as much as I can. May I be present. And as I'm present, Just extending this wish to hold everyone in the room. May you know I want to be present for you and companion you as I am myself. I know I'm not alone in this. Thank you. So I wanted to um, go back to a little more framing, and then I'm going to ask you to do some exercises in a triad um, about this. But so I just want to check in. Do you have about 10, 15 more minutes of like, great, okay. Um, so, sorry, Steve, yes. So let's name as a community again, let's name the target, the target non-target groups or the groups who are pressed and entitled Let's name all those groups because we are going to do an exercise where each one of us explores a target location and a location of entitlement and privilege, okay? So let's brainstorm together some of the... 
Yes. So we're, we're, um, we're going to explore as a community the different groups who are targeted or disempowered and the groups who are privileged and entitled. So it will become obvious as we do it. Okay. Let's just start with that. Let's just start with um, the dynamic is sexism and who's the group empowered in that? Men, exactly. Who's the target group? Women. Excellent. So we'll, let's do it in columns because we're, yeah, great, sexism. Target woman. Well, we'll go to other, other um, we'll go to other ones. And target and um, privileged. So privileged after sexism would be men. Great. So then let's do age. Let's do age. Next one, age. So let's, what are the two groups for age? Okay. Maybe let's um, let's um, let's frame that a little more in detail. So for age, yes. Oh, actually, you had your hand up first. Yes. Right. I would say. Um, the privileged group is maybe 21 to 45 or 50, somewhere around there. The privileged group for, is on age is 21 to 45, and then young and elder on either side are, are targeted. Great. It was around age. She was saying, what about young girls? Yes, sexism includes young girls. That's absolutely right. Yes, boys would have more privilege than girls. So in the dynamic of sexism... That's why there's a dynamic called ageism, where all young people are targeted because of their age. And we're talking about the intersectionality that sometimes that intersects, that young girls have a particular experience as females. So sexism and ageism intersect. And that's what we're talking about. Because we just have one day... Um, we're going to try and stay sim- the, with the simple categories, even though what you're talking about is totally real, that, uh, that all the, the um, uh, dynamics intersect. Okay, let's do another one. Who wants to come up with another one? Religion. Religion, exactly. But let's say particularly what? What's the privileged, um, what's the privileged religion in this country? Christianity, great. Religious oppression, that's what it is, religious oppression. And then the entitled communities are Christian. 
And the ones that aren't are what? (laughs) Well, let's name them, though. What are they? Islam, Jew, Jew, atheist. What? Pagan. Great. Buddhist. Are Buddhists, I I don't know, are Buddhists, uh, yes, no, we don't know. Okay, middle. Native American, yep, absolutely, yeah. So, religious oppression, that's good. And um, what about um, heterosexism? Heterosexism? So, what is heterosexism? Would someone want to describe that? Straight is being normal. Being heterosexual is the privileged group, right? And the targeted group is? LGBTQI. So lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered. And we could also, as a subcategory, put those who gendered, those who identify with their gender, and those who don't. So gender, non-gendered. Asexual. I don't think I'm. um, That is a dynamic. That um, asexual is a dynamic. I think it sort of goes with um, um, with sexism more than uh, heterosexism. No. So, okay, no. Se- that's what I meant about non-gendered. There's no sexual identity. Yeah. Asexual. Okay, let's put asexual. Up. That's fine. Thanks. Asexual. I is intersexual. Yes. Yes. No, they're not. Um, gender, I would say cisgender. Yes, great. And then maybe people who, it's not necessarily not identified with their gender, but maybe gender non-conforming. Great, thank you so much. So cisgender and gender non-conforming. There are some people in my community who identify themselves as non-gendered, but that's different than gender non-conforming. Yeah, thanks. Okay, cisgender and gender non-conforming. Cisgender is identifying with the gender that was given to you at birth. Yes, so cisgender is identifying with the gender you were given at birth. So if you're born as a woman, you identify in a woman's body, you identify, you feel comfortable in being in a woman's body. It feels like the right body for you. And so that's the cisgender. And gender non-conforming is when you are born in a body and it doesn't feel like the right, the right um, body for you in terms of the gender designation. So is that right? Might not be the right. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. The gender we're labeled with. Okay, great. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's a totally different experience. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Race. Racism. So, who are the people entitled? And who are the target group? So, people of color, predominantly, it's people of color. And let's do one other thing. Let's do elitism. Elitism is when you've had, uh, you, you've been um, educated formally. You've gone to school. You've got, you have a graduate degree, and the target group are people who've been informally educated, right? Who haven't, who didn't go through a formal education process. Yeah. Waitism. Waitism. Good. And class. Ableism. Thank you. Okay, so we have um, we have elitism and ableism, which is um, able-bodied and and. Um, physically challenged. Yes, thank you. And mental ability as well. Thank you. Mental illness, right. We have class. You can't see it. Yes, sorry. You can't see it yet. So we have ableism, which is... Weightism is those... Um, who who said wait? Would you like to describe it? Who's the oppressed group? The oppressed group are people who live in larger, bodies. larger bodies, people who live in larger bodies. Um, than those who have privilege. Then privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Right. Then. Yeah, anorexic. But I think even if you're anorexic, you, even though you're actually still privileged by society. I think it's fluid. It's not so, so systemic. I agree. Yeah. Within, I th- in general, I would say that classism, who are the privileged people in classism? Wealth. So um, upper middle class earning, right, would you say? Middle class in the middle these days, wealth and working class poor in the target group. 
we could say lower middle class. It's a middle class entitled lower middle class. Now, lower middle class families are really struggling. Yep, speciesism. And then maybe we'll call it quits because we've gone through, I think, enough categories to get an idea of the dynamics we're talking about. that has to do with sexism I do because in our particular subcultures it's different it really is different so I think that has to let's put under let's put under um, sexism just um, just in the middle looks lookism lookism Yeah, that's an. Yes, it's that's into that's um, part of racism. Yeah. yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Okay, I'm going to call that quits, not because there aren't a lot more, but because um, um, oh look, ableism. Let's put here. Who? Let's finish our list. Ableism. Who is the entitled group? Able-bodied. And the target group, disabled or physically physically and mentally challenged, able-bodied, physically and mentally challenged. Okay, and then speciesism, humans, humans. And others, yeah, others, good, other, yes. I'm going to call that as classism, actually. But we don't have English as a first language, so which is a big one. So um, let's call it quits. Also just make the distinction that physically disabled does not mean mentally disabled. No, no, yeah, 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 right. Right, physically physically challenged, put physically challenged because it looks like it's physically and mentally challenged. Let's put physically challenged and mentally challenged. So English as a first language is a really wonderful privilege um, to have. So... Well, just can you squeeze that in somewhere? Um, <laughs> it's a linguistic oppression. Linguistic oppression. Okay. So we are going to. I'm going to call it quits now, just for time. Oh, it's really important. Ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That is a big one. Ethnicity. Okay. We'll stick ethnicity in. Can you find another space and do ethnicity? 
Yeah. And do you want to name the privilege group? Hmm? Euro, European. Ethnically European, Anglo. Anglo-European, and what's the target group? Native American, Hispanic, Thank you. Thank you for being so um, so forthcoming in in uh, naming in naming the dynamics that we all live with. We all live with these dynamics. Thanks. Thanks so much for being so gracious with all our abundance here. And um, and so let's just. I mean, really, in a way, it's heavy. Jamie, could you just like show it to everyone. I mean, it's like a lot of people um, have been targeted and a lot of people are privileged. And we're all acting out. We're all... uh, What happened? I want to put this back. We're all acting out these dynamics. It's like we're... It's just amazing. And this side over here, great, okay, great, thank you. So, um, yes. Yes, yes, we are all in both commons. So, what I'd like to do, how do I want to do this? Do you want a stretch break? I, let's take a 10-minute stretch break. And could, you, could we do it in silence? So a 10-minute stretch break in silence if you need to go to the bathroom or get tea or something. And you'll remember the time to get us back. Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> we just wanted to take a minute to name that, that last session that felt like it was a little warm. Um, that there may have been ouches in the room that weren't named. And just really making sure that the invitation is there to name ouches when they happen. We'll do our best to slow things down so that all of the voices can be in the room. And it's, you know, we agreed in the beginning to come here as learners and just knowing that we're doing our best to show up and communicate and do no harm, though it's really hard. And so, yeah, just doing our best to be willing to learn and be willing to accept that we're going to make mistakes and love each other through them as best we can. Anything else that needs to be shared? Tyler? Tyler? Great, thank you. So language around, it's not, it's not uh, 
best to say physically challenged. We wouldn't say racially challenged. Uh, That did feel very hard. And there were moments where I wanted to say enough already. So that led to my recognition of my delusion and ignorance, I think. But as we left in silence, and thank you for that, I felt such love from this community. I, I, I am in awe of our willingness to come here and be open and patient and undefended. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here. To me, it, being so long and involving pointed out to me, we're not exactly taught to be accepting. <laughs> we're taught to be very picky, only someone like us, maybe. Everyone else, not. Uh, so my experience right now is just I, I feel like I'm sitting on a well of sadness and pain, and I think putting these um, categories up feels like one step removed from that. I, I understand perhaps the reason for doing that, and I'm hoping we'll have a chance to kind of sink into the reality of what all of this means for all of us. I got uh, in touch with an ouch during the break, um, and I know there's a lot of categories we don't have in there, but my ouch is around being coupled and uncoupled. So um, since I am uncoupled at this time in my life, so I just need to put that out there because there's sadness about how that feels. less strong than the ouch or the pain. Um, I had a strong sense of awkwardness about all of this and partly was purely intellectual how, how awkward it is to try to create any kind of binary and all of these differences are contingent, time and place, and I think we have an agreement that we started off with that's implicit that we're talking about the United States as a whole here and now. And I think I'm already starting to see a punchline or keeping our eye on the prize um, that all of this is so contingent that we're trying to tease out all of these problems. And um, the eye on the prize and the punchline is that maybe there's no normal and that we all maybe live in a society that imposes normality that doesn't really exist, and out of that comes so much oppression. So what I'm saying now maybe is the kind of thing we're working towards, but I wanted to say this now because of my sense of awkwardness, and it does seem to have a purpose to get through it. Thank you. Well, it's um, thank you for calling me in. I I was keeping my eye on the time, and um, so I apologize for the negative impact that uh, that that occurred. So, uh, not giving uh, the process the time it deserved. 
intense, difficult. and a motive. <clears throat> I wanted to give the framework um, because we will in a little bit go into a more personal exercise around one of our target locations. So to do the exercise, I wanted to frame it. Um, <clears throat> before we go into the exercise, I um, wanted to do a couple more things, <clears throat> and that is um, to talk more about the nature of privilege, because that's less accessible to us. And um, bef and so before I do that, I wanted to. Where is our beautiful scribe? Who wrote this? Um, would you like to read it, because you wrote it so beautifully? Um, uh, the Oppression. Marianne, is that your name, Marianne? Marianne, you wrote this so beautifully. Could you read it for us, what you wrote? Oppression is the systematic and pervasive... Oh, yeah. Oppression is the systematic and pervasive mistreatment of individuals on the basis of their membership in various groups, which are disadvantaged by the institutionalized imbalances in social power in a particular society. Oppression includes both institutionalized or normalized mistreatment as well as instances of violence. It includes the invalidation, denial, or the non-recognition of the complete humanness and in parens, the goodness, uniqueness, smartness, powerlessness, etc., of those who are members of the mistreated group. And it continues. The perpetuation of any particular oppression requires that the pain of being socialized into either the oppressed or the oppressor role be forgotten or discounted. The discounting or normalizing of the painful aspects of the conditioning process thus becomes a means of, perpet of perpetuating all forms of oppression. I just want to acknowledge again um, our tremendous courage in turning towards looking at that dynamic, that each one of us here is participating in a system of oppression as white people. So could you read it again? Maybe you can say white. White oppression. Okay. White oppression is the systematic and pervasive mistreatment of individuals on the basis of their membership in various groups, which are disadvantaged by the institutionalized imbalances in social power in a particular society. 
Oppression includes both institutionalized or normalized mistreatment, as well as instances of violence. It includes the invalidation, denial, or the non-recognition of the complete humanness, the goodness, uniqueness, smartness, powerlessness, etc., of those who are members of the mistreated group. The perpetuation of any particular oppression requires that the pain of being socialized into either the oppressed or the oppressor role be forgotten or discounted. The discounting or normalizing of the painful aspects of the conditioning process thus becomes a means of perpetuating all forms of oppression. Thank you. So we're um, in a process of uncovering that normalizing process of beginning to look at um, how it's living personally in each of us. In order to help us, some of us have perhaps done this work before and some of us haven't, in order to help us look at our privileged location Um, because the target location is so much easier to look at, I thought it would be good to talk a little bit about our white privilege because in the exercise to follow, we're going to choose a place where we've been targeted and we're all going to choose the privilege of being white. So um, we're going to do both those, we're going to explore both those places And so, scribe, I'm wondering if you would be willing to scribe. Um, Let's uh, build a picture together of what white privilege is. So, yes. Uh, Let's share this. For me, when we made this list, I was like, wow, I have the privilege of not thinking about so much of this, it's kind of got this neutrality that you can skip over, and that's the privilege. Exactly. Skipping over. Don't have to think about it. Skipping over. Thank you. Lovely. Yes. Can you um, pass the mic? Um, I think one of the things um, about privilege is that we have choices, and we don't recognize that other people don't have all the same choices and options that we do. Great. Great. Could you be specific? Um, oh, there's just so many examples of yep. this. Um, one. one might be just going to a hospital, for instance, um, and it not being assumed that it's... Um, that, well, we have the choice to go to the hospital. I mean, some of this is class, too, um, but that we have that option to go and get health care. Great. Thank you. Just whoever would just pass it along. Um, There's um, implied respect, whether you've earned it or not. I just thought of an example of um, a choice that I I struggle with 
a little bit for myself. Um, for me, I feel very privileged when I am exposed to different situations or different conversations that I feel really present a lot of ouches for certain populations, but yet I get to choose how I'm going to engage or disengage or participate in that conversation because it's not typically targeting me. I was just thinking about my white grandchildren. Um, they expect the police to help them. I think that's a big difference in our country. I think it's connected to what you just said. It's a sense of safety, which ironically, there's a sense of being unsafe too, because if you're privileged, then someone can take your privilege away. But that's not up and up front for most people, so... Something about needing to construct a mask uh, to fit in or to present oneself as an appropriate human being, uh, fit into some box. So, um, And it goes along with the other one, which I think you get triggered a lot in the target group. So there's a lot of anger and a lot of emotionality that you have to get rid of. In the privileged group. No, in the not privileged group. Oh, so we're something. just staying with privilege right now. Oh, yeah, we're just staying with privilege right now. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I think being white automatically gives you an identity that 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 you don't have to prove or establish to anybody, but. When you become aware of it, it it can cause a lot of problems with yourself too, because you might not be that person. Thank you. I don't know if this sounds like privilege, but kind of invisibility in a way, just being able to walk down the street and it's just normal walking, you know, depending where you are, what neighborhood, but just, you know, it's it's no it's a no deal to just be walking down the street. Nobody tries to avoid you or yeah. Great. Yes, great, lovely. Lovely. I think that white people have the privilege of intellectual laziness. Um, we can assume that we're not racist um, because we don't have to think about it. I think this has been suggested, uh, but trust, I think trust uh, in a more explicit way, whether it be uh, an interview for a job or walking into a neighborhood or walking into a store, uh, trust is associated uh, mm. with being white. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a white person, I can go to the movies and know that probably 90% of the movies are going to reflect 
characters who look like me and my family. Uh, I can assume all my basic needs are filled. I have a place to live. I have plenty to eat. I can feel financially secure. That basic Maslow's basic priority of needs is filled. So I just want to intercede in that to add on what you were saying. I don't know if you know, but after the war, there was the um, that uh, law that was passed or whatever to give and people coming back from the war loans for housing, except that was only true of white soldiers. Almost all African-American soldiers weren't given loans to live in suburbs and were only given smaller amounts of money to live in designated black areas like Harlem. So the ways that white privilege works in terms of having access to resources where they could not get a loan um, in the same way that white soldiers did. And then just to add to that, because of the law around funding for education, that it's based on states and then even cities, how cities work with the money they're given. So the, the schools are funded according to the location of where they're at. And so the schools in the neighborhoods that were created by white people, predominantly for people of color, are always underfunded. So just to look at the sorts of ways that systemic targeting of those communities has happened in terms of um, lack of choice and access of resources those two big things, housing and education. And then the third one, of course, is how the justice system has um, created more people who can't vote than um, the slavery system. That because people have been in prison for very, for small amounts of drug under the families, they have been disenfranchised. So just looking at the way systems of um, white privilege permeate into all aspects of people of color's life to sustain that disenfranchisement. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, leadership or power. Um, so perhaps um, being a white person in a community um, where I didn't hold any power, it habitually being deferred to me because I was the white person. So just. Thank you. There's some behind you as well. Hi. I would say the privilege of having role models in the media and in any type of job that you might want to do from president of the United States to, well, now we have a black one, but in general, they've all been white, and um, the media ideals are always white. And being disabled, I know that makes a big difference. Um, I never see a person in a wheelchair doing anything besides advertise a hospital or a nursing home or a cremation society, so. <laughs> I've never seen one in the media being a fancy dancer or movie star or 
So it does make a big difference what we see modeled that we can do this. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> My white privilege means for me that no matter what happens to me, um, I won't fall through the cracks. Uh, there's a privilege about being identified with the history of the country. Thank you. Uh, I can express the emotion of anger without it being attributed to my race. Um, I have a lot of white privilege in being queer and white and especially being trans and white. Mm -hmm. There's so much more safety that I experience being white in those with those um, experiences than um, I would if I was not white. As someone who works part-time in retail, I can say I have the privilege of being white, of going into most any retail establishment, and just being able to assume that the people that are working there will assume that I'm there to shop and, and they'll help me. I'd like to add the privilege of our schools and curriculum include my story, the immigrant story. I'm not sure exactly how to name this, but I've been noticing one aspect of my white privileges for a long time, uh, sensing that it wasn't that yeah I could see the problems, but it wasn't my responsibility. That you know I cared about it, but it was somebody else's responsibility to address or fix. Mm, thank you. I think white privilege gives white people the assumption of having intelligence. Yes, lovely. Yes, that is so true. That's so true. Um, yes. I just wanted to, to add to that what's been in my mind is um, this sense of um, my intelligence being reflected back to me so often by getting cultural references that when I'm in, in communities of color, I experience um, the opposite where I feel like, wow, I don't feel very smart. I don't get that reference or I'm not sure what they're talking about or I didn't see that movie or I don't know that artist. So it's, um, yeah, something that I, I take for granted. Great. Lovely. Yeah. Well, just do a few more. Yeah. The assumption of humanness Being able to buy or rent housing pretty much wherever I want to and being without question accepted into the neighborhood. Thank you. Last one. Last one. Um, let me think about how to say this. But somehow this idea that as a white person I can individually be helpful to individual people of color and sort of fix or, or individually do something for this person and have a sense of what that might be. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So 
So I'm going to ask you to do a guided meditation now. And so find a comfortable position. If you'd like to find a space to lie down, stretch your legs, stand, whatever is most comfortable for you, please feel free. Stretch your arms, whatever feels cozy. Take a moment and now open to a place where you have belonged to a target community. Any of the ones that we've named or ones perhaps that haven't yet been named. And as much as feels safe and appropriate for you, opening to the pain or discounting the experience of being belittled, or shamed, or blamed. See if it's possible to both open to the space and keep connected to your presence and awareness of it. I am present for these places that have been hurt. Allowing the presence of everyone in this room to hold. these places that each of us are living with. I'm just taking a moment to touch and ground with the body wherever that is accessible for you, a place where you're feeling the coolness of the air or perhaps where the feet are resting, the sound. Taking a moment to connect with the breath. 
open. Seeing yourself in community, in your target group. All of us, everywhere where there's targeting of this group, we share this experience. In holding it ourselves, we hold it for everyone. And then again, just allowing whatever sensation and feeling is present giving the space. Extending almost the boundaries of our body to give these feelings or sensations more space. So they might have all the space they need to live in the environment of our presence. And then coming back to ground again. Maybe coming back to hearing. (coughs) Hearing the sound of the bell. Relaxing in the body. Connecting with your intention. I want you to know I want to be present for you in my life as you arise. This that I have inherited. Both personally and as a community. Then taking a deep breath in, holding it, holding it, and releasing, feeling the releasing in the body all the way down through the legs into the feet, noticing the next breath. And once more, deep breath in, holding, holding, and releasing, feeling the releasing. 
And now if you can open to a place that really has struck you about being white. The feeling level of entitlement or safety or superiority, expectation. Taking a particular incident that has felt formative for you about being white. When did you first notice you? had this access or capacity to make decisions. In South Africa, I told my, the maid working for us to remake the bed because there was a crumple in the sheets as a young child. Opening to those experiences or just what it feels like to be normal and safe and walking down the street without having to open up to the reality of what else (coughs) is taking place. Holding these places with our intention to care and love. (coughs) How does it feel in the body? Does it live in a particular place? What's the sensation? Not fishing for something, but opening and allowing it to communicate itself to you. It's been living there. Coming to touch some neutral place for you with your awareness, sound again or some part of your body. Taking a deep breath in, holding it, holding it. It's supposed to change the neural pathways and releasing, releasing, releasing. And once more, if that feels appropriate to you.
Thank you. What I'd like to do is to invite you into triads. So again, um, if you can do it with someone you don't know, two people you don't know, that would be good. And with the triads, um, each person is invited for five minutes to speak about the experience of being targeted first. And you just take it in turns. So one of you um, uh, can offer to facilitate the timing. And then there's then the second round is speaking around privilege. How did that feel? What struck you? What's living inside of you? So for another five minutes. What I'd like to invite you in the triad is that one person asks of one other, tell me about your experience of being targeted. So you say that. Tell me about your experience of being targeted. And then another person responds and just speaks until that person is done. And then the questioner says again, tell me about your experience of being targeted for five minutes. And then you switch. Someone else will ask the question and someone else will respond. Three of you both question um, and answer the question. And then you do the same thing. Tell me about your experience of privilege. Yeah? So that is um, 10 minutes per person. So that means we'll go to 1 o'clock. And then we'll come back here. and We'll do a blessing for lunch and instructions around lunch. And then we'll have lunch. And then after lunch, we'll um, come back and um, do some sharing around that. Possibly in the small groups, I'll think sort of think through that. So um, I, we will send some um, timekeepers around just to help you keep time, five minutes per person. So 10 minutes each, five minutes target, five minutes privilege. Is that clear? Yeah. Great. So it would be good if some of you did, went out of the rooms so because it's a little less overpowering, I've heard, to have, um, to have the noise moderated. So feel free to find two people and move out to another space. And then we'll come back at 1 o'clock just to uh, convene before lunch. Oh, and then, yeah, stay in your triad. I mean, really... Talk, don't finish before the five minutes and say, I'm finished. It, even if you don't talk, your questioner is going to question you for five minutes. Tell me about your experience, okay? So everyone is, is uh, being asked for their full five minutes. That means no one can end early. And then we'll see you back here at one. So as we, um, just before we break for lunch, could I hear from um, one word from some of you? How are you feeling right in this moment? Just Liberated. Insecure. 
Could you speak up? Frustrated. Challenged. Motivated. Amazed. Not good enough. Roll hearted. Roll hearted. Roll hearted. Roll hearted. Challenged. Overwhelmed. I feel kind of fired up. Fired up. <laughs> Let's then take a moment to. Hold all that has been named in our community. All these energies live in each one of us. Allowing an opening to their life and how they're living in this room. Again, if you like, intentionally bringing friendship to them. May you feel held in an environment of friendship. Um, and then I um, would like to invite um, us to uh, create a circle where we um, can touch each other, hold each other's hands. Let's do that. Might be a double circle if we can't all fit around. (laughs) We could form a double circle if we need to. Form a double circle. Good. And just taking a moment to acknowledge um, what we share these vulnerable bodies and hearts the diversity of feelings. Mm. 
our wish, perhaps it's common to all of us to heal in the ways we can. In this unity, feeling our physical connection, that wish to heal. To be held in this moment just as we are. To be held and to hold others just as they are. No one, nothing left out. Just that intention. May I? May I be able? to hold everything living inside of myself and everything about myself and everything about you. May it all be held in caring and friendship, in wisdom and clear seeing. Thank you so much. Thank you for your courage and vulnerability and willingness to explore these really difficult areas. Thank you. We wanted to check in because some of you had called in different words before we left for lunch. Heard frustration and confusion and a number of other things. And um, I just wondered for those of you who called out some of those words if there was anything that you needed in the moment that would be helpful in addressing those feelings. So, one of the things that I think is a little confusing to me, not intellectually, but in the experience, is how the different kinds of things overlap. Like, I don't necessarily feel safe walking down a street. I understand as a white person, I am way safer than a black person walking down the street. I know that, but I don't feel safe. And often as a woman, I have not. And often as a person with limited economic means, I have not. So so it's like all I see all of these I see it all that you know the white privilege but then there's all these other things like women across all groups of people have certain we're all very different but we have certain things in common and people with less means have things in common so I don't know yes thank you for naming that I think that's good for now thanks thanks Um, It is complex. That's right. It's complex. It's complex to tease out. And um, so just to go go back to the basics, when when we're in our target position, whether it's as woman or as a young child who is bullied or as a working-class person, 
and experiencing that lack of safety, we can be motivated to then say, because I would like this, um, this, this, this system of oppression to end, because I feel the pain of it, I also want to make sure I explore the places where I'm unconsciously supporting a system of oppression. So I just want to say that that is very, that's complicated because it means just what you said. It means I feel that the, the many faceted sides of the experience of being a woman and feeling unsafe, but in other particular ways being safe because I'm white. And in particular other ways being poor. And so we're trying to flesh out the particularities, hopefully over our, all, our whole lives, every single one, in order to heal which is why I consider this work ongoing and never-ending. So I hope that's good news for you all. <laughs> the day might end, but the work continues. Um, so we're just, we're taking, we're taking one strand to explore more. And the particular suffering around it on both ends of it. So, yes to everything. Thank you for naming it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you asked us to name our two different ones and then the feelings around it, I was very surprised to find that I felt the same identical feeling yeah. and just felt very insecure yeah. in both you know I mean and so it's like a place in me that you know experiences both yes. yeah thank you yeah, they, they can land similarly thank you yeah. and I guess for me it was different in that I felt easier being the target, because I've always identified with a victim and myself in that sense. And I'm teasing out how to also be the perpetrator or the privileged and, and what that means. And, in, and I almost feel a little, I feel too small mm. in that yeah. sense, yeah. what to do about it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thanks for saying that. We'll address some of that later. Thank you. Yeah. It was interesting in the triads, because I went first, that I was having a real hard time figuring out both the target and the privilege stuff until the other two people went. And it was sort of like, oh, now I want my turn. because yeah. And it got me realizing, particularly around privilege, all the things that I definitely have that are privilege that I just take for granted. Right. 
until somebody else named them. And then it was like, oh, yeah, everybody doesn't have a car that works. Um, yeah, so that, that was interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I... Thank you. So um, I... Um, wanted to... Just to support what you shared, exactly what you shared wanted to um, read, ask um, uh, some of you to read out a beautiful thing that I think you all got, Peggy's list of unpacking the knapsack. Because some, not because some of us don't know it, but it's so good to keep on acknowledging in these very small ways um, for those of us who are confused around well, what is privilege, to acknowledge here are some very small ways to be privileged. So um, I'm going to pass this on. Oh, 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 it was an email. It was an email. It was an email. But if you didn't read it, no problem. We're going to read it right now. Yeah, you can pass it on. Have you got the mic? Oh, yes. Someone can read. Whoever's there, start reading and pass it on. Read a few and pass it on. Starting on this page two here? Yep. Number one. And do, oh, okay. You don't want me to read the paragraph? No. I can, if I wish, arrange to be in the company of people of my race most of the time. If I should need to move, I can be pretty sure of renting or purchasing housing in an area which I can afford and in which I would want to live. Um, you know, I was noticing that I just took a cup of coffee, a sip of coffee. As we're listening to it, let's see if we can feel it, not just hear it as an idea, but really open to the reality of it, because that's the exploration we're going through, is not to just have it as an intellectual concept, but to feel what it actually means in our bodies, in our minds. Yeah, thank you. I can be pretty sure that my neighbors in such a location will be neutral or pleasant to me. I can go shopping alone most of the time, pretty well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. I can turn on the television or open to the front page of the paper and see people of my race widely represented. When I am told about our national heritage or about civilization, I am shown that people of my color made it what it is. 
I can be sure that my children will be given curricular materials that testify to the existence of their race. If I want to, I can be pretty sure of finding a publisher for this piece on white privilege. I can go into a music shop and count on finding the music of my race represented, into a supermarket and find the staple foods which fit with my cultural traditions, into a hairdresser's shop and find someone who can cut my hair. Whether I use checks, credit cards, or cash, I can count on my skin color not to work against the appearance of my financial reliability. I can arrange to protect my children most of the time from people who might not like them. I can swear or dress in secondhand clothes or not answer letters without having people attribute these choices to bad mor- the bad morals, the poverty, or the illiteracy of my race. I can speak in public to a powerful group without putting my race on trial. 14. 14%. I can do well in a challenging situation without being called a credit to my race. I am never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. I can remain oblivious of the language and customs of persons of color who constitute the world's majority without feeling in my culture any penalty for such oblivion. I can criticize our government and talk about how much I fear its policies and behavior without being seen as a cultural outsider. I can be pretty sure that if I ask to talk to the person in charge, I will be facing a person of my race. If a traffic cop pulls me over or if the IRS audits my tax returns, I can be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. I can easily buy posters, postcards, picture books, greeting cards, dolls, toys, and children's magazines featuring people of my race. I can go home from most meetings of organizations I belong to feeling somewhat tied in. Hmm, Let me start over. 
I can go home from most meetings of organizations I belong to feeling somewhat tied in rather than isolated, out of place, outnumbered, unheard, held at a distance, or feared. I can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having coworkers on the job suspect that I got it because of race. I can choose public accommodation without fearing that people of my race cannot get in or will be mistreated in the place I have chosen. I can be sure that if I need legal or medical help, my race will not work against me. If my day, week, or year is going badly, I need not ask of each negative episode or situation whether it has racial overtones. I can choose blemish cover or bandages in flesh color and have them more or less match my skin. Seems to be the last number. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd like to um, read out what I wrote here. We prefer to examine ourselves individually to determine if we carry prejudice. And if we believe we are a good person, we wouldn't, if, and we believe we are a good person who wouldn't discriminate. And so we adopt a more colorblind position. This does not take into account our lived experience, including having caught messages around race and having received the benefit of white skin privilege. By becoming aware of our group identity and accounting for our privilege and access to power and resources, we are able to transform ourselves, our ability to have authentic relationships, and to create cultures and structures that include everyone. So I just wanted to address that because when we think about white privilege, we often think about it as something that is personal, and that because we're good people, which we are, because we have good intentions, that somehow that means that 
we don't actually act out of white privilege. But the reality is that we are good people with good intentions who have caught and live with the messages and behave through the messages of white privilege. And that that white privilege has been created solely to give us the kinds of benefits that Peggy just touched on lightly and to systematically exclude people of color. So even though we haven't chosen to be born as white, even though we haven't chosen to act out of the unearned benefits and resources we've been given, the understanding, what we understand is that we are. That, that just like in apartheid, when we take another country and it's sort of easier to see in another country, that every person who lived in South Africa enjoyed the privileges of apartheid. And because they didn't challenge that, that system stayed in place. Until, until actually, this country in particular started to undermine the economic health of South Africa with the embargo, with the economic embargo, and with the movement of the ANC, the people coming together to challenge the structures. Just to say that the incredible suffering that happens around racism isn't because of people of color. It has nothing to do with them. It is because of the dynamics of white privilege, that we did not choose to inherit, but inherited. In the same way that we haven't... Well, I wonder what's going on. It's off. It's off. Oh. <laughs> Maybe if I sit down, because we didn't have it when I sat down. Maybe when I sit down. So, so... Um, this is not about guilt, but love. It's about saying, wow, I got born into a system where I didn't choose to be privileged, but am. I got born into a system where I didn't choose to be able to go into a store and not be followed by someone, where I didn't choose to be able to write a check and not be asked for my ID, but a person of color who follows me is. I didn't choose these things consciously. I've been given them. And because I have, and because the kind of resources and privileges I've been given rest on the exclusion of millions of other people, as a caring and loving person, I want to see and find out more clearly what it actually means so that I can address it and change it. So I, I, um, I think, um, uh, you know, I just, 
I have to stand up for this, but maybe I'll leave this down. Just stay over here. Um, I just so want to honor you for coming to explore this because I know um, um, just how difficult it is, and some of you have shared that personally with me. How uh, over the lunch break, how hard this is, and the uncovering of these dynamics on the social level also profoundly impacts our hearts. That is, that as we become conscious of these behaviors in the same way that we've become conscious when we've meditated of some of the thoughts we've had that have been blaming or judging or negative, and we thought, oh my God, I can't believe I've lived with this thought about myself the, my whole life, right? And I see it now, and I don't have to continue to believe it. We're in the same engagement process of looking at the thoughts and behaviors that have constricted our hearts and minds that we haven't been aware of and beginning to uncover them so that we might be free of them and that we might become an ally. So an example, um, just a, an example of, um, uh, because of this work, I'm aware I'm white all the time. Before that, I was aware that I was a woman. I was aware that I was queer. I never forget that I'm queer. I never really forget I'm a woman. I, I don't ever forget my mixed class background. I don't ever forget that I'm an immigrant here in this country, but I never remembered I was white until I started to do this work. There mostly isn't a time when I don't remember I'm white. And because of that, there's that extra sensitivity and caring that I have also as a woman to what is happening in my environment not out of fear, but out of caring. So that when I'm walking down the street, and I live in the Bay Area, um, and um, when I'm walking down the street and I see a policeman and some African-American kids, I never walk on. I always stop because I want to be an ally to the fact that I'm not being targeted but I know nine times out of ten, if there are a group of African-American kids on the street, they're going to be targeted by the police. If I wasn't aware of being white, I wouldn't be able to be an ally. I would just, be, I would just continue to walk on. The same, the same for an example of someone at a store, and this happened to me. I was at a store. I bought something. I gave an out-of-state check. The woman behind the counter didn't say anything. My friend, who is African-American, bought something else, came, gave her out-of-state check, and the cashier said, could I see your ID? If I hadn't been aware of the fact that I was white, I wouldn't have intervened. There's much more to say around this, but for now, 
to acknowledge the incredible blessing of um, this inquiry for ourselves and for the incredible blessing for the people of color who live with the impact of our white privilege and our unconscious relationship to it. Does that make sense? Before, okay, so any questions about anything I've said? Ah, yes. I think you'll probably address this, but I think one of the things I'm struggling with is I'm facing, I'm, I, I feel I'm, un, I'm dealing with two things. One is my practice of inquiry, searching inside myself to see where these places are and um, explore that. And as part of that, I've become, as we've been preparing to come here, I've been kind of observing my reactions to people of color. And for me, the danger is I want to fix it. And I, I hear a little bit when you say I become an ally. Some of my suffering is that around, or it feels like it's around, and I'm a little scared to say this, that I have to be the white knight. You know, there's that white knight guilt. And I don't know what to do with that. And there's a lot of pain there for me. Thank you so much for naming that because um, uh, this process understandably brings up guilt, but it actually isn't about guilt at all. It's really about love. You know, so... In, in seeing it, in seeing the guilt, just in the same way that we see a hindrance, it's like, oh, yeah, here you are, but I don't have to believe you. Because one of the ways it's held in place is through guilt, and we don't want to feel guilt, so it's kind of held in place. With shame, blame, guilt, all, all those energies hold it in place. So, yes, you're exactly right. That is what comes up, and it's really uncomfortable. And we don't have to believe it. In the same way, this practice invites us never to believe shame, blame, judgment, and any of the other obstructions of the heart. And that's why it's so beautiful to have a meditation practice. It's because we have the tools to see that and to disengage from it. I don't have to believe in guilt because I'm doing this out of love love for my own heart. And each one of us will navigate in our own ways where we can step in and, and, and become allies and where we can't. We're co-creating it together. So this is... Oh, oh yes. Yeah, what she said reminded me of this. This was from, I, I was here Friday evening, 
And there was a, a young woman of color who had hair that's two different colors, and I'm a hair person, and so, and I'm friendly. So I went up to her and I said, oh, I just love your hair, and we did a short exchange. And then later I realized I didn't tell her my name or ask her name. And normally I would have gone back and done that, but I realized I didn't want to intrude on her. And and I was I was wanting to do it perfect, and it was very painful for me to to see that. It wasn't surprising, but it was painful for me to to be with that. Thank you. Could I could I just share a couple comments? Um, just two thoughts in response to what you were saying. One is I think that there's in social justice circles, some concern around the use of the word ally. And the reason is because it puts me just a bubble off plum in terms of the, uh, just a, it leaves me a little removed from the issue. I'm an ally t- to someone else's issue. And I think one of the struggles around this is uh, a racial justice or whether it's gender justice, queer justice, is that um, for me as someone who identifies as a cis woman, I actually don't need men to be my allies. I actually need them to be in the mix with me, recognizing that their own liberation is at stake instead of being an ally to me. And so what I heard in your examples was both moments was where you were responding to people of color. And I'm not sure if we look at the history of racial justice in this country, if I actually do need to know that I'm white in order to go do work that serves people of color in a way. And what I mean by that is if we look at the white people who are involved in the civil rights movement, many of them would acknowledge that Native people and people of color are being targeted by systems of racism. But if you were asked them what their own personal stake as white people was in it, they might not be able to tell you. And in fact, many of them couldn't because they were busy trying to help be good allies to Native people and people of color. And so I'm not sure that the examples you gave would require someone to know of their white privilege. They just need to know that Native people and people of color get targeted. They don't necessarily need to know the deep complexities of privilege and supremacy in order to do that. And so it feels to me like the examples that would would be helpful for in a conversation about privilege, at least, for white people, is to really look at the moments when we challenge other white people, not necessarily help people of color, and the moments where we're sitting with me and my majority white family and having conversations not about how their comments are racist, but how their comments fundamentally dehumanize themselves. And so I think there's a... I'm not trying to play semantics, but I think there's a very important, subtle shift when white people are doing racial justice work that to then really living racially just lives. And my racially just life is not measured by how good of an observer I am or intervener I am with Native people and people of color in the potential targeting. It's really more how do I work with other white people in my life in those moments where there are no people of color around. There's no precipitating incident, if you will. And so I would just maybe call into question the examples you gave, because I don't think they require my whiteness awareness in order to have me as a white liberal who wants to go help people of color intervene in those moments. And I've watched myself in my own racial identity development do that, where the last stage is really standing there and observing, because my own humanity is at stake, observing the dynamics around me when white people don't get stopped, et cetera. So...
Lovely, absolutely. I think that's right, which is why we're in this room. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a both and for me. And I, so I th the, there are, there are, I, for myself, I appreciate the allyship that is given to me as a white person by you in this exchange. So I understand allyship is that willingness to explore and step forward and engage. And I, and I, I think that's exactly right. We work in all the different ways. I work predominantly with white people, and there's ways that I also work as an ally around the, um, the prison industrial complex in predominantly African-American organizations. And so there's the different locations where we are called to uncover our hearts on a personal level and to address the systemic expression of it. So to work on all four levels. So you don't look convinced. I'm, so thank you. Thanks so much for your sharing. I would like to um, check in with you about going on to microaggressions. We were going to break into small groups, but I don't think there's time. I'd like to do microaggressions because the, that is something that happens a lot and we're not conscious of about, about it in, um, in our Buddhist centers and organizations, and then break into small groups and actually look at role-playing and intervening in those situations. So I, let me check in with you and see, is that okay? Does that feel okay to do? So... Um, I, I, I just want to then acknowledge that we're talking on four levels, the personal, the interpersonal, the cultural, and the structural, right? So the personal are our own attitudes and beliefs regarding inferiority, superiority of others and the cognitive misinformation about that. The interpersonal is how we behave in the light of those assumptions and the impact that has on others. The cultural is the individual and institutional expression of superior, superiority of white culture and heritage, the values and ways of being. And the structural are the laws, customs, traditions, practices, which systematically privilege us in relationship to people of color. So when we explore this work, we hopefully, it's hard to do it all in one day, but holding the map of this personal exploration. Um, Jamie, do you want to hold this? Oh, yeah, just take the whole thing. 
that we're holding this exploration in, in the context of this whole map, which we know already. Of we just named with Peggy's list some of the culture of white privilege. If we go and see a movie, we're more likely to see actors and actresses and those playing roles in the movie that reflect our own race. So just one tiny example we've named already. And the structures we talked about, housing and bank loans and um, this, this, the, uh, the systematic imprisonment and disenfranchisement of so many um, particularly African-American men. So to... So to keep holding... How's that? Is that better? I, I, I also can do the handheld. So, um, so we, as we do our personal work, we're holding it in the context of what we've named culturally and structurally. And that in order for change to take place, it needs to happen on all four levels. It can't just happen here, which is the failure, I think, of some of our meditation, the, um, our meditation practices is that we just stay on the individual level. We don't look at some of the impact of our behaviors and speech across difference. We don't look at our cultures. So, for example, um, um, I was working with a, a meditation center, and a lot of the, that was Zen as uh, doing some of this work. And a lot of the African-Americans said, you know, you don't make eye contact with me. And that's what my whole experience has been, is white people ignoring me and not making eye contact with me. It is totally triggering. And so there was a beginning of this whole discussion of how do we want to address our culture so that we are being inclusive in some of the ways that we're practicing. So looking at culture and then structural, where you work, where you shop, looking at some of the laws, customs, and traditions, and becoming aware of the systemic exclusion on that level as well. So we keep placing our work on the map so that we can be sensitive to addressing when we can or where we're called to all the four levels. Just to say that, thank you. Okay. The, I'm just going to ask you for to hold through one more, um, one more kind of conceptual thing, and then I'm then we'll break into groups again. So. Um, the, the internalized behavior for white people when we're not aware of, um, um, of our behaviors in relationship to difference is rescuing. We tend to rescue individual, we tend to rescue people that we're working with in some way, like not holding them accountable because, for example, they might be African American. We blame them, we scapegoat them for, um, 
um, uh, when difficulties arise, we pathologize them. We might um, act out avoidance of contact, like how many of us have African-American friends or people of color that we invite to our homes or how many theater pieces, how many books do we read, movies that we go to that are about African-Americans. So in general, there might be an unconscious tendency to avoid contact. The other one, especially in Buddhist communities, is denial of difference. We are all one. Why do you have to talk about difference? So for example, over and over again in many Buddhist centers, when people of color said, we want our own group, there were people in the organization that said, why are you creating separation in our sangha? We're all one community studying Buddhism. Why do you have to go, go at it alone? So denying the impact of white privilege and racism on our communities and the need for people to gather and support themselves. Um, and then deflecting the whole issue not addressing it, deflecting it. So those are some of the things that um, we often find ourselves, that we often find ourselves doing. And um, um, so we really are um, trying to move from those energies to speaking up, taking responsibility for our part, sharing information and making contact, exploring and sharing information about our cultures, and recognizing and sharing the information about um, the impact of oppression. So we acknowledge difference, we make mutual contact, we problem solve and take responsibility, and we help instead of rescue. Those are just some sort of very basic um, ways that we can begin to become conscious in our interactions. Do you have the scissors? I just went through that very quickly because I wanted to um, uh, move us to breaking in groups and looking at some microaggressions and seeing how you as a group might intervene to work with that um, microaggression. And they, all the microaggressions um, I'm going to read out have happened in Buddhist centers. So, um, but let me just stop. This is Just again, thinking about it as hindrances, the sort of dynamic of hindrances, the dynamic of non-target groups, not just white people, all of us in our non-target location, rescue, blame, avoidance of contact, denial of difference, denial of the impact of difference in its expression as oppression. That's our tendency. Just to note it, that's our tendency. Um, 
in our target position, we try to beat the system, we get into blaming, we get into antagonistic avoidance, we deny that we're part of the target group, and we deny the impact of oppression. That's when we're in our target locations. We can move from rescuing to helping, from um, blaming to problem solving, from avoidance of contact to making contact, and from denial of difference to acknowledging and validating difference in the impact of oppression. Is there anything that comes up for you? Yeah. Allies, you know, and and uh, racial justice, and I think that's great. That's a w w wonderful thing. Uh, the thought came to me is that um, the white majority in this country is shrinking, and uh, there's there's becoming more people of color and different. I wonder if the white people feel any sense of un easiness about this, even though they may say, we want racial How, how do you feel about this? Um, I, I, that's a good question, of course. Uh, I do feel some uneasiness, but I, I also feel that if there's racial discrimination, then that's going to cause a lot of uneasiness, too. Uh, it's going to take somebody who's very mature and I think who, 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 who understands Buddhist thinking very well to be able to handle this type of a situation. Okay, you don't want to let the prejudices that you've been brought up with control you, but it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Awareness, as Buddhists would say. Thank you. Thank you. Does someone else want to respond to that? Helping. 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 Does someone want to respond? Thank you so much for being willing to share. That's lovely. Does someone want to? Yeah. I actually had a different experience with the blame thing. I was in a situation where um, blaming... Are you relating no, to... No, oh, Could we just stay with that for a oh, moment? Oh, I'm sorry. Longer? That's sure. okay. Yeah. I just wondered if anyone else... We were just talking about us as uh, addressing each other and supporting each other in the exploration. Yeah. Um, I'm addressing the question of what happens when we're no longer the majority. We, the whites, are no longer right. Is that right? I, I think that the fear... Uh, around that, aside from 
we pray that they don't treat they don't treat us the way we've treated them you know is that there is an underlying knowledge i i believe that this is the systemic aspect of this culture that is set up to have winners and losers uh that's set up to have a system where rewards go disproportionately to people and that power must be kept and garnered and increased in every possible situation and could use the old term capitalism you know but and um but there's something to that i think thank you Um, I just hear so much fear in that response, and then I think about fear in general, and I think that fear is based so much on what we what we don't know, and sometimes when we respond out of fear, um, obviously there's an avoidance, and as we avoid, we might temporarily feel better, but that of that that reward of feeling better in some ways reinforces a way of being that really doesn't work well. So I just, um, I just was responding to just the, the kind of the fear of the unknown, really. Thank you. Anyone else want to respond? I'm being proactive. Um, I'm studying Spanish, and I'm reading a book now uh, written by a Mexican-American who was a child of uh, illegal immigrant and somebody else, and he said, you have to realize that America has been built on immigration for, what, 200-some years, and everybody hates the next group that's coming in, and you've got the whiter Italians replaced by the Sicilians and the drunk Irish and the this and the that. And, he said, and then now and the people who are assimilated Mexicans hate the ones that are coming in, and they hate the Guatemalans, and they hate people from different parts of Mexico, so he said, you just have to realize it's just this ongoing thing that seems to be a u- uniquely American thing. And it's not uniquely American, but, but that's the way it is. So I just have to realize that it's historical. There's an ongoing tension which has been going on for years. And like I said, I'm doing my part by engaging with um, the language so that when the time comes where they're a majority, then I will be able to speak and hopefully be more of a peer than an overlord, so to speak. Great, thank you. Well, hang on. My my experience has been again different. Um, I I work in at University of Minnesota as a resident, and this past month I was on a dermatology rotation, and I can't tell you the number of people who came in wanting lighter skin. Um, and, and this is, and I learned that in different parts of the world, it's not FDA. I mean, there's no FDA. And so they even bleach their skin to be white. Um, and the women mainly, but even men, they go to these salons and they get this kind of treatment. So it's not a uniquely American thing I wanted to mention. It's a world and it and it tugged at my heart because when I see these women I see their beauty and but I can't tell them you're beautiful 
because even when I told one woman that, she said, what do you know? You're, look at your skin. And so that made me feel unable to be an ally, really. So you're naming, you're naming the ways that we, uh, the ways that we're forced to live in systems of oppression and the, the choices. I just want to ask if there are people who haven't shared, just to give us some moments because there's, um, we're in a large group, thanks. I want to offer that opportunity, yeah. Um, this question of whiteness, um, I, one of my questions today coming here was, who's going to be at this gathering? Because today in the United States, um, white is, we're so mixed. Just like you had talked about the immigrants, the, the Italians and the Irish and everyone, and we're all mixing. So now I'm Italian and I'm German and I'm English, and my kids are half Hispanic and half of whatever I am. And so they're, um, they're brown. Or maybe they're a little white. I'm not sure where they fall on the spectrum. So I think that we, these questions really bother me because it, it misses the point of who are people in their heart and that we haven't said today <laughs> that we all make assumptions about everyone we see by how we look on the outside. I mean, I know this is really s straightforward, but I just, it has to be said that it is. Um, and so worrying about not being the majority, the majority of what? I mean, I think our country is changing. <laughs> so I, and I think for young people today, this is you. much more. When I look thank around this you. room, I don't know what our average age is here, but for younger people, this is, this is a completely different issue, and I think it would be a completely different discussion. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. So I'm, I'm, we're going to, I'm just going to respond to that and then... Um, uh, uh, move us into a group. I think the issue is the way is how our, the uh, resources and decision making have been constructed around those, those of us who were born with a white skin, whether we are Europeans, um, have been Danish or European or whatever, uh, East European, have automatically unearned access to resources, that we have that, no matter what the, the subtleties and beauty of our tradition, of our ancestral tradition. And that's exactly right. It's constructed and it's painful. And so, yes, I, it's a both and of looking at the construction and and conscientiously dismantling it because it constricts our own hearts and minds and opening in and opening to what is beautiful about our particular and unique mixture because we're mixed most of us right traditions some of us east european jews some of us scandinavians that just the um, that amazing mixture. We, of course, all came from Africa, but um, many years ago. So um, it is painful. It's painful not to see the uniqueness of ourselves and that that uniqueness in the waves of immigrants we were talking about 
got flattened out and negated by Americanizing immigrants. And that, that whole process of conditioning took away the unique cultures of those immigrants coming here. There's, of course, some remaining, but a lot not because of that conditioning process. In order to be safe and to have access, there was this ironing out of difference. So um, in, the, in, the, in the, what's become white culture. So um, uh, I want to honor that spirit that you spoke about that lives in all of us, that wants to begin to express ourselves in our unique and cultural ways. So I'm wondering if you feel ready to go into your groups. And um, we are going to hand you a vignette for you to work on. And we would, are then going to ask you, some of you, to come back and to role play your vignette um, in front of us. And we will be a, a rapt audience. Um, and a very appreciative audience to what you have come up with. These vignettes are really about beginning to practice um, how, how to intervene when something, when some kind of racist incidence has come down in our community, in our families. Um, in our meditation centers. So, and the only way that I found we become more um, willing to do it is by practicing it in a safe space. So, um, why don't you get into your groups and then the groups that you got into this morning. 11 groups. Why don't you get into your groups and um, some, so uh, move into your groups and then someone is going to come around with a vignette and then talk about it and see, brainstorm how you would like to intervene. Let's make a little space in the middle so that we can, um, and everyone kind of move out so that we can, some people can sit here and we can um, have a bit of space for each group to act out their vignette. Um, two of the people in our group are leaving, so can we go first? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, let me move this out of the way. And uh, 
Okay. So find a place to plunk yourself. I'll just sit here. to know if we can do our skit right here where she is in her chair? Oh, yes. Okay. Fine. So, um, so let's um, uh, find a place to sit and um, invite the first group um, to come. And so let me say this is really about a learning and at any point, any of you can come in and join the skit and do a try on yourself. So we are just in the process of learning, and there isn't a right way and a wrong way, just what we're learning. So could you read your skit out to us? Okay. It's a little bit confusing, but I'll just read it. An African-American woman attended a drop-in sitting with some friends who were white. An African-American woman greeted them as they entered as a volunteer greeter for the evening. As I walked, back to, as I walked to the back of a room, a white man approached her and said, Did you find out about... I felt confused and showed it. And then he saw the volunteer greeter and said, Oh, sorry, and walked over to her. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, that, so the scenario, you guessed. Yeah. Great, okay. We looked nothing like each other. She was much taller than me and completely differently dressed. The only thing in common is that we were both black. How could you be an ally in this situation? They're both African-American. Can you use the mic so that everyone can hear you as you... Yeah. Thank Okay. 
Thanks for bringing me here, you guys. This is so awesome here. It's really beautiful. Did you find out about... We didn't rehearse this a whole lot. This is our first rehearsal. Welcome. It's great to have you. Step right this way. Did you find out about... Oh, I'm sorry. Did you find out about what we talked about? Yeah, that was really awkward. I felt quite embarrassed. Uh, how do you feel about that? That seemed really awkward. I felt quite embarrassed. How do you feel? You know, it was a little confusing, but it's okay. It's no problem. Well, I, 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 I'd like to go talk to him, just to introduce myself anyway. Hi, I'm kind of new here. I don't know what's happening here. Are you new here too? No. Well, I'm a little anxious about this. I don't, I don't, I, what's going to happen here? Do you know what's going to happen here to, to, to today? I'm not sure what you're referring to. We're going to have a sip. Oh, yeah. Well, I also was like, I was kind of, I don't know, I was feeling for you a little bit. I don't know, I saw what happened when you um, didn't recognize the, the greeter and, I was just wondering how you were doing about that. Well, it was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, I would have been embarrassed too. So I, I, I just decided to minimize the situation and, and said I was sorry and walked away. You know, that's happened to me too, and I'm trying to figure out why it's happened to me, and I'm kind of thinking that some of it is that all my friends are lily white, and I've, I'm really trying to do something different about it. And... Um, it's like I have facial blindness with black folks or something. I don't know what is wrong with my brain. But um, then I'm thinking, well, maybe I can do something different. And I don't know if you've ever thought of that, too. It, it's, <laughs> I've experienced it. It's, just, it's a challenge. Um, you know, we get much better at discriminating faces of people, that, that the ethnic groups that we see a lot and right. those that we don't interact with a lot, we're just not as good at you know, the other thing that I just remembered, and this actually really did happen to me, I was at a blog party the, the other day, and I, uh, there was a new person on the block, and they were saying, you know, what's the, what, what's the demographics of, of the block? And I said, well, there's a lot of older people here, and as you can see, we're all lily white. And she goes, oh, good. And I was, like, shocked. I was, and then I didn't know what to say in the moment. And then I realized that, and I've been telling my, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say to this woman when I see her next because I need to say something. And I'm, that, it's a reminder to me when I make a mistake, I don't always have to have the answer in the moment. I'm thinking you can go back and you can, you can talk about it afterwards too. Maybe you can do the same thing. Maybe. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm going to give you lots of courage. It's really nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> How it was for you to, in the process of that, working it out? Well, just as a group, we, we talked, you know, before we got up here and um, went through our rehearsal. Um, 
just as a group, we talked about, you know, what are the, what's the range of responses and what could be a constructive response rather than a blaming response? Right. And Allison came up with right. the basic response of, of, you know, in part it's just a skill issue that we are much better at discriminating people that look like the folks we live among all the time. And what could we do to get more skilled at that? Right. And, and so forth. So it, instead of making it a you know, a moral lapse. It, it's, a, it's a matter of uh, exposure, as we put it. Any, any input from anyone else? Anyone um, like to share um, any addition to that? Yes. I think the, um, one of the key things that I got from that was um, saying, oh, me too. I, you know, I do that all the time. So it's it just, um, it's, actually, she was allying with you to just say, you know what, this is just a common experience and, and, and sharing her own um, expressions of embarrassment around doing that. So it's really, it, pu- it puts the other person at ease right away. It's not, hey, you were like really bad. It's like, you know what? We all kind of do this too. Um, She didn't seem to know the perpetrator and I thought it was quite courageous of her to engage in such a lengthy conversation and then bring up this whole story about her block party and so forth. Um, I mean, that is really delving into an issue and being courageous about treading on territory that, you know, it's uncertain ground, really. So I was impressed. I'm sorry to play devil's advocate, um, but I was struck by how little the person of color was included in this and how much whiteness there was. I mean, the whole conversation was between two white people, which is what we always do. So I guess that's my little, maybe they had to have given the person of color a chance to speak out to the perpetrator. But I guess that's more reality that it never happens. So it hurts me to notice that here it happened again. I kind of disagree with that. We did this very intentionally because it is about educating other whites and not like putting it on the person of color in the situation to have to educate. So that's kind of the perspective we were looking at it from. Yeah, I mean, it just, I I think that that conversation is the one that actually doesn't ever happen, where we're confronting each other about the privilege. That that isn't really where we usually go. So it seemed like that was the opportunity we we needed to be taking in this situation. And we also did check in with the person of color because we wanted to make sure we were acknowledging to them that 
it was an awkward situation, but um, yeah. Job. So we're actually turning now to this group, group number two. And if you could read your vignette. Yeah. Oh, where's the mic? All right, this is Vignette. On a Buddhist retreat, you are attending a retreat at a, at a Buddhist center. All, the, all of the practitioners are white, as far as you can tell, except for one Japanese-American man, Paul. During the morning, there is a discussion period in which Paul takes part. He speaks with an American accent. As the group is eating lunch together, the Dharma teacher asks Paul, So when did you come to this country? Paul's body freezes and he says nothing for several seconds. How could you be an ally in this situation? I'm the Dharma teacher. This is Paul. And these are other people. And we're going to show two different responses. Oh, hey, Paul is from the U.S. He grew up in Toledo. Hi, it's really good to see you. How long have you been in this country? Oh, hey, Paul is from the U.S. He grew up in Toledo. Oh. Okay. I forgot to say. I'm sorry, I didn't know. Hi, it's good to see you. How long have you been in this country? Hey, Nicole, I'm kind of curious why you asked Paul that question. I'm just trying to get to know him better. Well, why do you ask? Oh, just because I noticed that Paul looks different than we do, and you didn't ask any of us that question. Well, I sure didn't mean that you look different. Paul, I'm wondering how that question landed with you. Is that a question you hear often? I I felt uncomfortable because I do feel I'm the only, it's obvious, I'm the only um, non-white person here. And I felt kind of pointed out. I didn't mean to imply that I was separating you. I'm sorry. Being, hold on, I forgot my last one. Being, <laughs> being that I'm a Dharma teacher, I'll meditate on that for a while. <laughs> so how was that? What, what inquiries did you come up with? 
we talked about this for such a long time. <laughs> it's such a small, I mean, in some ways, such a small thing. And, you know, it's like, well, what is the impulse behind intervening or acting as an ally? Do we feel like, are we rescuing Paul? Should we let Paul deal with this on his own? Or is that pregnant pause an indicator that he's feeling really uncomfortable? And so, you know, and then there was, you know, I feel really uncomfortable, you know, and if if I speak up and call out the Dharma teacher, you know, then I'm making a big deal out of something that maybe isn't such, I mean, we talked, whoa, we talked about this for so long. Um, but then I, I thought it was a good conversation. So one of the main themes of our conversation was discomfort and um, both our own discomfort with um, in just feeling awkward, either intervening or not intervening, and then also a lot of speculation around Paul's discomfort um, and then the Dharma teacher's discomfort and the position, the, the dynamics of power in the relationship between practitioners and the Dharma teacher and whether to wait and do it later. And, um, and then we talked about, you know, taking risks, interrupting patterns, um, not needing to be perfect at first and being willing to try anyway and, um, be open to the feedback. And, um, like the other group mentioned, you know, even being willing to check in later with people and say, Hey, you know, I'm new at this. How did, how did that feel for you? Can you help me out with any feedback? And we also had a lot of discussion about um, being an ally versus being a rescuer, and that the attitude that is brought to the situation is really primary important. And, um, you know, being an ally is, to me, is taking it on to myself and putting it on me. And it doesn't have to do with the person of color or whoever. It just has to do with I'm uncomfortable with what I just heard. <laughs> and that that's um, being an ally. But being a rescuer, to me, when we were discussing different options, there was an option of rushing in to defend, like our first example of, no, he's from Toledo. Like <laughs> um, That's more of a rescuing style. And and to me, that feels less respectful, like the person needs to be rescued um, or is weak or, or something. <laughs> Whereas the ally is just adding to the voice of, please consider what this sounds like to someone, possibly. Uh, in the Toledo piece, there was some discussion about um, not making too big a deal of this, that um, it's just acknowledging it. If I were a Dharma teacher and I would want someone to call me out pretty quick on it, and um, I'm the kind of person, me personally, that I put my foot in my mouth a lot. I work with a lot of different people, and I would like them to tell me, hey, you know, and then I would say, oh, I'm sorry. Thanks for letting me know. Move on. Let's, yeah, so... You know, as I imagine myself in the situation as being the Japanese-American, um, and I were looking for a safe place to be, and that's why I was in 
a Dharma setting in the first place. I, I think I would feel best if someone spoke up and expressed some discomfort and opened it up that way. Um, just to remember that the, by definition, microaggression is uh, unintentional and usually well-meaning. So it was really easy to come up with, you know, fighting sort of answers. But but the Dharma teacher just doesn't know. So it doesn't really have to be confrontation. An African-American student speaks with her white teacher during a break at a Buddhist conference while sitting at a table with other white people. Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm a real estate attorney. I'm a real estate attorney. Oh, you must have a lot of clients because you're so attractive. if I could say something uh, I just I just want to name what's going on inside of me now um, you know I, I, there's a lot there's a lot here I feel angry I have the thought that I'd like to say something to you I'm wondering what other people's experience is as you listen to it I'm noticing, um, I'm also feeling discomfort and also just compassion for, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Mary, but I know you're a great lawyer and I don't know what your experience is. I feel curious about that. And I also wonder for you, Matt, you know, you've always been such a kind teacher. What's coming up for you right now? I'm I'm feeling a lot of shame, and uh, I've been feeling it most of the day. Well, I appreciate the pause and the um, I appreciate you speaking up. Um, and yeah, what what would make you think that I it was because of my looks? I that I um, would get clients. I'm, I'm pretty self-centered. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just sort of focused on superficial things. 
I was really surprised that uh, a, a, a woman, much less a black woman, would be able to finish law school. I got to say something again. Uh, <laughs> this is hard for me to hear. It's bringing up a lot in me, and I'm, I'm I got to own my anger about it. I feel really angry about that. Anybody else want to share their experience? I'd like to hear what you have to say. I'm feeling it's going to be very important. Um, I don't want to speak for. I've forgotten your name. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you're going to be Mary. Okay. Mary's experience, I can only speak for my own. And had I been the recipient of that, I would have felt um, dismissed, not seen, um, angry. And um, I, think you, I think you need to hear that. I would like to know what you're thinking and feeling right now. Have you? Um, what I'm asking is, have you? Have you heard what Jean said? You've heard. I would like to hear what Mary has to say. To be honest, it's very hard for me to stay in role, so it's hard for me to be in touch with imagining myself as black in this scenario. Um, and I'm more in this room right now than I am able to get in touch with what would this woman in the scenario really be feeling. So, Yeah, so I, I think um, we uh, our process as a group um, in some ways was logistical for a lot of the time, and, and we didn't get a whole lot of time to um, you know, really look at... Um, what the main issue, you know, what the feelings would actually be. And in some ways, we left it up to this point because we didn't really rehearse this. And uh, I certainly wasn't planning on saying what I said. But, um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I thought for the sake of the exercise, I, um, you know. That was a...
I like that they were able to speak about their feelings. I think it might have also been good to add their values or their needs. Like, you know, I have a need for um, equality of people and the way you're treating Mary in undercuts that for me. And it, that's why I'm feeling angry. That's why I'm feeling sad. Um, you know, Mary's good at her work because she's good at her work. And uh, she was able to go through college because she put in the effort to go through college. Um, and, you know, if you can speak from those feelings and needs and values, I think that helps um, just throw it all out on the table. Just quickly, um, part of my experience is like it's so intolerable for Matt to to see him and to have some understanding about the suffering that that comes from. That you know, one of the teachings too is to just um, be very strong. Um, and so I found myself imagining just stop that, that's unacceptable, and then just letting that sit instead of maybe my default would normally be trying to say I feel and I instead of just like this has to end <laughs> uh, and I found that sharp uh, impulse I just wanted to say that my part in the role uh, I mean I just felt I don't want to be in a you have a Dharma teacher that you know, is just what you said you were, Matt, and I just felt, well, I'll leave and let this class go on, and I'll find another Dharma teacher instead of, you know, arguing with whatever. I mean, I think that's an individual choice to leave, but... This is larger than this group. Matt's behavior is something that a community should really look at. I would just say in this case, it would be something that should go and be a larger discussion among the community. It's, it's that grave to me. I want to add that a senior teacher in our tradition was actually the person who said that. So it was oh, everything, every one of these vignettes are real. They all come from something that actually happened in one of our centers. So that people have sent me because they know I'm doing this work. So, um, yes. So just, I think, um, just so, um, just to acknowledge that. We are all in the process of learning and educating ourselves as community, as teachers, as students, about these unconscious assumptions, ideas, and values that we have. All of us are unconscious in some way or another about the ways that we transmit our beliefs around race and white privilege. And I know when we see it in some more extreme cases, how painful it is. But that is the reality of what we're working with all together as a community, which is why we're doing this exercise. 
so that we can begin to acknowledge this is what's happening and how can we begin to address it as Dharma students, all of us as Dharma students. So thank you so much. Okay, group number four. Okay, why don't you go to the middle and share your experience? Who has the of group four? Yes. So I'll read the scenario and the vignette. A member of a large insight meditation community who is a person of color has spent many years building understanding of diversity in the center and set up the first diversity committee. She unexpectedly dies and a memorial is offered. At the memorial, you notice none of the board members or senior teachers come. How can you be an ally? Well, we, we diverged a little bit about what our focus should be. And first of all, we were upset at the head teachers, and we were thinking about confronting them and how best to confront them. And, um, and uh, we were, our assumptions were kind of like maybe they don't appreciate diversity at this center. We didn't know a lot about these people. We didn't even know if they were whites. Oh, white yeah, they, yeah, I'm so sorry, they're white. Otherwise, yeah. they would have all turned up. Well, we made a lot of assumptions, and we noticed that we made a lot of assumptions. <laughs> yeah. So we weren't sure what the reasons were, and we were thinking we can't really do anything at the memorial service without kind of making a scene. So we couldn't figure out what to do. The only thing we thought maybe we should do is either talk to friends, talk to a spiritual friend, talk to the board, talk... but not just by ourselves. We, had to, we couldn't figure out exactly how to pull it off, actually. I, I think we all felt that uh, the board and the senior teachers needed to be talked to about this. How exactly to do that was, was a difficult question. But I think many of us thought that you know, we should approach people individually and could, could not, you, not, with a, not with a sense of blame. But, but could you just write sure. now... <laughs> Ad lib. What would you say? Just like, what would you say to the board and teachers? Just ad lib. So, uh, board member. So, uh, <laughs> so Eric, Eric, um, I was at the memorial service for for Joanne, and uh, um, I was really surprised to see that there weren't any board members there, and and their senior teachers weren't there. Do you know anything about that? But you weren't there, so. Yeah, I, 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 I wasn't aware that no one was there. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> we don't talk much. I don't <laughs> yeah. Um. <sighs> well, we know that she's a part of the diversity committee, and we thought that a lot of the people from that committee would, would facilitate the, uh, the service. 
Well, it's, it, it felt to me like like the uh, leadership of the community wasn't being very supportive of of, of Joanne and her family. I mean, it, uh, that's that's how it felt to me. Um, did, did the board or the teachers consider how to how to act? How, how to did they prepare anything for for this memorial service? Did they think about it? I appreciate your understanding how this might impact um, Joanne and her family and the diversity committee. Um, my own discernment is that this was uh, some time for them to, uh, I don't know, <laughs> to come together and have a conversation without us, the board there. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, in our group, we really talked about, too, how we had to explore both the uh, intention and the impact of this situation. We really need to understand both of those pieces before we could just rush forward and try to fix it. And to find out by approaching the board members, I mean, we assume the intention is that they just don't support the diversity work or they didn't think about it or wasn't important enough to them. But we don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> But we don't know that, so it's um, just as Alan was asking Eric, that's one way to uh, approach uh, and ask that question. And also we understand what the impact was in our own hearts, but also really understanding the impact on the entire community and the diversity committee so we can um, fully represent them when we're talking to the teacher to say this is how the whole community was impacted. <laughs> My kid had a soccer game. <laughs> so, Barb, you're on the board of directors. Is that is that what I'm talking about? Barb, I've been talking to a few of the people who are at Joanne's memorial, and there was some concern that there wasn't a, a high enough presence of senior teachers and board members. And there's a kind of sense of not feeling really supported in their work. Are you aware of that? I guess I didn't think about it. I'm wondering if there's a way that we can work toward making sure that support is is shown after this. Do you have any ideas? That's a really good point. I think that her death should probably spur us on to, uh, um, well, replace the chair on the diversity committee and maybe do some long-term work in our community to be more welcoming. Positions, people. 
At the end of a one-day retreat, most retreatants have left, and three volunteers are closing down the space. A young African-American man goes to the registration desk to start counting the money, and an older white woman, noticing this, says, Paul, where's the older white woman? Just raise your hand. <laughs> says, Sure. You can go clean the bathrooms. <laughs> Excuse me. Hi, Mary. Uh, what did you mean by that comment? Well, uh, you know, I'm good at this. I, I just thought um, I would do this job. That's what I'm used to doing. You know, actually, I'm really good. I'm, I'm an accountant. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I was a little bossy again. I'm, I'm sorry. I do have that habit of being so bossy. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, um, I just have to share something that I saw there that, well, I was concerned. Um, I know you're very compassionate, and I know that you have meta for everyone. <laughs> and I, w- your comment, the way I took it was almost like there was racial overtones of like you didn't either trust him with the money or trust his ability to count the money. And it just made me feel horrified. And I know, um, I mean, I mean, it just, I just wanted you to be aware of how it might be perceived. Wow. I, you know, I don't think I was thinking that. Uh, and I do tend to be bossy, but, uh, Maybe you know I'll have to give that some thought. I I didn't intend it that way, but I can see maybe. I'm sorry if if it, that came off that way. I oh boy, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm just used to kind of taking over, raising six kids like I did. You know, <laughs> used to bossing people all the time. Sorry. How are you feeling about this, Paul? Well, the whole bathroom thing kind of... <laughs> that kind of brings up a whole lot of um, historical uh, racial idea. And I wasn't too happy about that. And also, this happens a lot from white people. And so it makes me feel really crappy. I'm feeling really crappy, too. Sorry. I'm feeling pretty good, I think. <laughs> This this really needed needed to happen. Uh, but in sympathy, yeah, I I can see where you guys would feel that way. All right.
I. I was gonna. I was uh, appreciative that you used the word. Um, I I felt horrified, and in the last scenario, I had that same feeling of um, sometimes that's how I feel in situations like that, and I think it can be helpful. I'm op- I'm really interested in what you think, but I I, I found that uh, a relief to hear somebody say that. Um. You know, what struck me is um, this scenario was, you know, we were all kind of laughing and it was funny. And then uh, was it Paul? You were playing Paul. Um, And Paul said, well, you know, that's hurt me because I hear it all the time. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's probably the reality. And how terrible, right, to hear, to have that experience on a frequent basis. Noticing in all the skits that whenever the person confronts the person, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no, because I feel like even in the way that um, that she, uh, she was confronted that, I don't know. I mean, there was kind of an edge there. I mean, like he, he kind of, you know, charged her with being racist, basically. And I mean, I don't think, I think we're all great people and everything, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we're all here in a state of mind where we're going to be totally open and receptive to someone calling us racist when we really didn't mean to or whatever. Anyway, I just want to point that out. And we're not professional actors, whatever, I know. I don't know what to do with that, but I just, all these scenarios are like, they're pretty easy. The people are very receptive. And I don't think that is really going to be the case. We we went through several scenarios when we were um, going through it, and we talked about it. We thought probably the most likely way she would do respond Mary would be through a deflection. So she tried to be like, oh, yeah, I'm bossy. I've got all these kids. I'm just used to ordering people around. I'm sorry. You know, because that's an easier admit than, oh, gosh, there might be some racial stuff under here. Um, so we felt it was our job to make sure that that, was brought up because we were seeing it. And I mean, I mean, I think that's why we're in Dharma community is because we all realize we're ignorant and we have delusions or denial in areas and we hope that our community can point those out for us. So really, we have to stop thinking of it as like, oh, I'm going to like wreck our relationship and think, oh no, I'm going to help heal this person and our community and this is something that I'm doing to benefit Mary as well as Paul and myself. So it's just another way of looking at it. And um, that's kind of what we we're going for. And, and I tried to be very conscious of not be like, you're a racist. But did you realize how your comment might appear? Because this is sort of how it could seem. So it's not like, it's not about blaming or judging but it's about making people aware and having the dialogue.
Maybe um, while our group is coming up, if it would be okay, I had a comment to make about the last skit. Um, just I wanted to appreciate the mention of history and telling somebody that their job is to clean the bathroom, the, as the person mentioned, has a historical resonance. And I think awareness of that is really important. So I'm just appreciative that that was part of the skit. So are we all here? I'll just read the hour vignette. It's um, at a registration desk for a one-day retreat. There's a long line waiting to register for a one-day retreat. A group of white students are behind a person of color who is trying to convey to the registrar that there's an error in some paperwork that she has just given him. The man, the person of color, speaks with an accent. You are a person behind him. You have no difficulty understanding his words, but she, the registrar, apparently cannot make out what he is saying. But rather than ask him to repeat what he said, she simply turns to you, a familiar-looking white face, and asks, may I help you? How could you be an ally in this situation? Well, thank you for filling out the paperwork here. I appreciated it. And uh, there's your final copy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, wait. Uh, the name, no es correcto, the apellido first, name second. It's, it's not correct. Name, the name. Can I help you? <laughs> Do you have more questions? Yeah, th thank you. Yes, yes. The name. I think I heard you saying that the name was incorrect. My name, yeah, not correct, right here, yeah. yeah. Did you need some more help from her? Yes, thank you. I do, yes. The name, it's not correct. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no comedy here. Yeah, do you want to talk? Yeah, we discussed the ins and outs of how to handle this for quite a while. It's good to tell our non-actors. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple thoughts that we had. Um, for I think we had a, a long discussion about where the, the registrar was coming from, and I think it would have helped us to have microaggression. For me, it would have helped to have microaggression microaggressions defined really clearly. Because we felt, uh, I felt as as if there, this person of color had kind of two check marks in the column for um, a target area, one being the language and the other being the color. So we um, really weren't clear whether the registrar's response was coming from a place of really not understanding the words and thinking that maybe this person was finished um, and moving on to the next person, or whether it had to do with color, but. Um, our, we kind of jumped to the conclusion that color had something to do with it. Um, but we wanted also to not, some of our initial reactions were just to react with anger at the registrar. Um, but we decided to come from a place of trying to understand where that person came from and what sort of pressures they were feeling. And um, 
we were going to confront the registrar directly by saying, Are you, do you realize that you, you just jumped ahead? But we tried to do that more subtle. It may not have been very apparent from our acting, but we tried to be a little more subtle in the way we said, we don't, I don't think you got your answer um, adequately as, as sort of a message to the registrar as well. So our attempt was to be a little bit subtle, but also to let the registrar know um, what we saw. And it just seemed really important not to speak for the gentleman. You know, to just Sorry, it just seemed really important not to make the assumption that the gentleman needed somebody to speak for him. But just to kind of put it back, that it seems like your, maybe your need wasn't met and, and to offer assistance if that seemed like that was needed the person behind him did understand what was said. Registrar, which just left white privilege speaking to white privilege rather than trying to make a space for the person to say more or try to have more needs met if, if he chose to. Okay, um, in this vignette, a group of white women, who are us here, uh, are walking up to a church where an evening meditation is sit is about to take place. A group of young African-American males uh, <laughs> pass them by, um, and you notice everyone averts their eyes. So we presumed by everyone um, that meant the white women averted their eyes toward the the young African-American males, so. So uh, I think we have a, a guest teacher tonight. Isn't that what you heard? Yeah, I hear, um, I hear they're a really good speaker. Have you heard them before? 
You know, you know, we didn't even look at those people over there. Um, I didn't look at those people over there is what I'm supposed to say. Um, I didn't even look at those people over there. Hey, hey, are, are you guys here for the meditation tonight? Nah, we're just hanging out. Okay, well, have a good evening. Good to see you. We also discussed about um, if, you know, you're with a group of people you might not know very well, do you say, hey, we didn't do that, or hey, did you notice that you didn't do this? Or do you say, gosh, you know, I didn't even look at them. Let's go back. How come you didn't invite them to come into the meditation? Well, that was just the point that um, I was thinking of talking about, that um, we didn't have the situation at all contextualized, so we didn't know where it was and who the guys were, and we just had to make some assumptions. So maybe they would have liked to go in, but we didn't know. So we decided at the end that we would just have a response that, no, we're just hanging out. So that was an answer, but that may not have been the right answer. It will be a two-act musical soon. <laughs> <laughs> is there one? Is there one group that would love to come on that you just would really love to do your thing? Great. Who said sure? Go ahead. Come on. It doesn't matter, you can improv on in the center. Do you have the somebody have the scenario? at reading it. We didn't plan the scenario at all because we were discussing the whole time, so we didn't get to the rehearsal at all. So 
Um, okay, this is in a meditation center store after a retreat. You are shopping with a white friend and looking at Buddha statues. Noticing the high prices on the tags, your friend says to you, I don't see how black people can afford to shop here. How can you be an ally in this situation? And, and so, I mean, okay, I'll be... Do we have to answer that? Because it was pretty acted out in the... Hmm? There's a, yeah. Presumably. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we don't have to act it out, but I can just say um, we we spent a lot of time talking about this, and um, one of the things we noticed was that we were really eager to give the uh, perpetrator the benefit of the doubt, even though we knew it was a racial scenario. Um, and we spent we wanted to really talk about class instead of race, and we had a lot of reasons why it could have been a class issue, even though we knew it was a racial scenario which only leaves me to believe that, you know, we're at a, a, a day-long workshop specifically to talk about whiteness, and we have a racial scenario. Like, would we really recognize it? Our, our privilege and our whiteness would probably get in the way in the real world. So, I mean, that was like a big takeaway. Um, and then uh, we had a couple of different ways of, maybe we'll just pass it around and yeah. each share the way that we would have responded. Um, so, scene. Um, so, in response to the comment, uh, okay, so it would be something like, uh, hold on a second there. Um, you know, it sounded like what you just said was that black people wouldn't be able to afford the statue. Is that, I mean, that's what it sounded like. Is that right? I mean, is that what you intended? Again, this is assuming a friend, so my response would be, did you just hear what you said? Wow. I can't believe I said that. What's your point? Yeah. yeah, that the person would have the opportunity by you saying, hey, did you hear yourself? That the person might have the opportunity to actually go, well, what did I just say? Then there would be a discussion of, well, there sounded like there was an assumption there that people, black people, could not afford that, and is that was that your intention? One of the things we talked about is whether it would be most more helpful to ask the person more. I think the first or second group that did the scenario they went down that road of having people talk about how they felt or whatever, or would it be um, more worthwhile to simply identify? I feel like um, there's an, you have an assumption, perhaps, that black people can't afford this. In my circle of friends, some people can, some people can't, and it isn't based on race. Um, one thing I liked about what our group talked about was um, to draw it out to let the person feel what they did versus lecturing them or trying to teach them. I thought that was really valuable. I did see it as a racial issue, and I um, uh, thought I don't think well on my feet. So I asked everybody if we could have two minutes so that I could come up with something. 
And I realized that in the real world it doesn't work like that. But in fact, someone brought up the word pause. And perhaps just saying to myself in that situation, pause, that I don't have to come forth with a teaching or a comment even, but just to pause. And if I were to make a comment after a very thoughtful pause, it might be, uh, I find that really interesting uh, because um, there are all levels of income in black communities and white communities. So, But for me, the takeaway that I had was the pause, that I don't have to teach somebody who is making a comment, because is that my assumption, what they meant? Were they, was it really a racist comment? So, uh, Also for me, it was Tyler that <laughs> brought a pause. And I thought, yes, you could actually say that to give yourself some time. Because I think all of us experience that when these things happen, they just happen so fast. And oftentimes we have this reaction. We, I I. I found it to be, I assumed it was a racist comment, but I didn't, in, I didn't see that the person necessarily was intentional. That's what a microaggression is. So my point of view was I saw it as a racist comment, um, and I would want to say something, but I, I didn't want to be blaming and shaming because for myself I have not found that to be the way that I have opened up to racial injustice. So I, I just think that idea of pause is really important. But, but maybe to say, I'm not sure what you were thinking about that, or what, what you meant by that comment, but it made me feel uncomfortable because it seems like you're singling out black people as not being able to afford things, and that seems like a racial assumption that we shouldn't be making. But it also gives them an opportunity I don't feel like, when I say that, I don't feel like I'm blaming and shaming, which to me is a very important aspect of this whole conversation. Just very briefly, um, Doug McGill was part of our group, and he really saw how we were interpreting the, the vignette a little bit differently and kind of pointed that out, which was extremely useful. And I felt that it was important to just ask the, the friend in the, in the story what he or she meant by that before we jump to any conclusions. Thank you so much, um, everyone. Thank you for your courage and willingness to explore, um, to explore these scenarios. Um, just to add one thing that, uh, that struck me is that our, that our intention is always good, but 
and the impact can be negative. We don't even need to ask what our intention was because we're really exploring and wanting to communicate, that's bad English, would like to communicate the negative impact. So the assumption is that our intentions are good and unconscious. And so because they're unconscious, because they're having a negative impact, the possibility is for us to name that. So both to say, I'm, I, I know that you had good intentions when you said this, and it landed negatively for me, and this is why. So we, you know, so we don't have to have a conversation about, well, what were you thinking? Because the important thing for each of us to learn in our own um, consciousness raising is that some things we say have a negative impact, even when we have good intentions. And the negative impacts, when it happens a lot over time, creates a culture where people of color are comfortable. And often that discomfort is expressed in the reality that in many centers, there are affinity groups of people of color or retreats for people of color, but most of the other time it's white because people of color have experienced so many negative impacts from good intentions. So that work is in exploring with each other and challenging each other around the negative impact of our good intentions. Yeah? Does that make sense? So thank you for beginning that process, because it's only by having these vignettes and exploring them that we get to see, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is how, you know, this is how this landed for me in hearing some of you talk about that particular vignette, and oh, maybe I would have said it this way. So the only way we learn is by exploring it together. Yes, just one question, because we're so close to the end, yeah. Yeah, and I think the work you're doing and becoming more and more conscious of the ways that we are both well-intentioned and that our actions and speech have negative impacts. Like, I did choose some of the more extreme examples, although one of them, the one about Paul and saying, where you do come from, that is, that is generic. I can't tell you how many times my friends of color are asked by retreatants and teachers where they come from. So there are things that we, are, that we can learn as we continue the process as white people. There are things that we can learn that make it more welcoming because we're not, we're becoming aware of the negative impact of the unconscious assumptions we make as white people. So I know I 
left out a huge chapter on microaggressions because I really wanted to give us time in the role-playing because it feels like it's so juicy to do the role-playing. There could be a whole weekend on microaggressions, just going more deeply into the different, um, uh, um, what's the word I want, the most common microaggressions that we make and just going through different scenarios and learning about them. That's one. I think the other is, and some of you mentioned it, the other is that when we have good intentions and someone says, you know, that landed really negatively for me, to take as a golden rule not to argue with their experience, especially when it's a cross race, but really anywhere. When there is a power difference in a relationship and someone says that lands negatively, the golden rule is to automatically apologize and say, I'm so sorry, are, are you willing to tell me more about that? Or, I'm totally defended now, could we meet down the road? Because I've got a load of justifications of why I said what I just said. So when we take, when we take, receive that communication, whether it's from an ally or a person of color, and we receive it and say, thanks, I'm, I'm going to think about it, thank you, that immediately creates safety. So when you think about your target position and you saying to someone in power, that landed negatively and that person in power says, thank you it immediately creates safety. So that's um, a really lovely, um, a lovely cultivation uh, that, that we can do. And I have been practicing this for years, and I watch the defense mechanism come up like that. Oh, but, you know, oh, but. So that will happen. And as it happens, and we keep watching it, at some point we're able to interrupt it and say, oh, great, I interrupted my defense. So um, thank you, thank you. Um, we have just 10 minutes left, and I had wanted to do um, uh, just a very short closure. So what I'd like to do is to take five minutes, just five minutes, to brainstorm next steps. Any brainstorm is good. Can we have a scribe? To brainstorm next steps, and then we'll do five minutes closure and sharing the merit. And a few minutes for announcements. Okay, great. Let's, we have five minutes to brainstorm next steps. What are some ideas that you have for next steps? Just keep it rolling. You'd, is it possible to engage the a community of color and other uh, people of minorities to have them write out what some of their macro, their micro aggressions were, and then act them out with us? So it's like, you know, when you say that's not helping me, actually that's worse. Well, write it down. Okay, great. Thank you. Another brainstorm. Um, I know that there are many people in our community who have a lot of um, skills in facilitating these kind of workshops. 
Some of them are here today. Some of them have left. And I would like to tap into our own resources more. Not that I didn't 100% appreciate your being here, and I'm very grateful. But I'd like to, um, I'd like to see that more. Great, lovely. Great. Be aware of your white. Be aware of your whiteness all the time. Great. Yeah, I know that there's been. Um, People of Color group and an Unraveling Privilege group, and I just would like the opportunity to join a group maybe formed after this workshop or something that's accessible for me to begin to participate in now. Great. about it tomorrow, talk about it the next day. Don't let it be just a one-off event. Great. Uh, don't invalidate people's uniqueness, people's disabilities, um, and that it is harder for certain things for some other people. As an immigrant woman, it was harder for me to go through higher education than it might have been for a white male born here. So, and I think you mentioned that in your first thing, that oppression is invalidating other people's uniqueness. And we're not all the same. We can't be. So if you're blind to color, I say that's not correct. Great. Practice intervening. Take the initiative to speak up rather than sit silent, and then reflect upon your intentions in doing so to try to avoid being a rescuer. But for me, mostly practice. Right. Along similar lines, just ouch is a great word to have as a community. Just ouch so that that can be indicated. Also, um, facilitate a conversation with community or group leaders to see how even one reflective question about this could be uh, included in meetings. Could you say more? What did you mean? Um, so just, you know, we have a lot of different groups of yeah. various topics, yeah. but as a community, if this idea of whiteness or just diversity is included in our reflections oh, as great. a community, great. you know, um, that could keep this going. Thank you. Something around uh, together as a community, uh, acknowledging and normalizing the dukkha of white privilege, but just generally the dukkha of uh, the ignorance of not seeing what's there. Lovely. Well, I I think um, it's really important and... uh, I don't know the experience in this, in this community in Minnesota, you know, and certain cultural backgrounds. It, to to speak up and to say how you feel may not be easy, but I I want to commit and I want to be open to saying if you hear me, say something, and if I hear you, I'm going to say something. Thank you. Um, I would appreciate it as a community exploring the roots in our own hearts of uh, isms, elitism. What is it in me that makes me do this to myself and to other people? You know, we've got a whole list of isms here, but 
what's the root cause? Thank you. Yeah. I think it's been said already, but this, this idea of practice, um, the intervening and the vignettes, but also then coming back and supporting each other. So in the reflecting about it, um, it's tough to get shot down when you call somebody out. And so to hear more of us talk about when we've called somebody out or we've tried to clarify and what's resulted, the shaming that sometimes comes back or the wrong, you know, no, I didn't mean that and you're this or that. It's really difficult. And I think too often I hear people stop at that and just go away from trying to advocate more. Right, right. So right. really supporting yeah. each other in, in that right. work. Thank you. So one last one before we have to go to closing. We've been mostly looking into our own minds and hearts and how we've acted and how we might not act, and I think appropriately so. But we know that this is part of institutional racism and structural racism, and so I think we should take this awareness into our political activism. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, that brings us to conclusion uh, of our day. I'd like the, to... Um, I'd like to... Formally close by asking your forgiveness if I've said or done anything that has landed negatively for you. Um, and offer that moment of reflection for this whole community that just for in this moment we might offer forgiveness to me or to other teachers or each other. May we allow ourselves and each other to be students of life and to make mistakes, to be imperfect. If we can't forgive uh, each other or and ourselves, May we set the intention that we be able to do so whenever it feels right. Thank you. I'd like to share the merit of this practice. First, with Louise's daughter, um, who is uh, um, facing health challenges. Um, and for all that has been skillful and helpful, opening and wholesome, may it be shared with all our white community, wherever we are whichever country, may this learning touch and create the conditions for learning around privilege with all beings everywhere.
And again, thank you for your willingness. I thank you for the time, for hanging on in the times that I've been clunky. I've never worked with such a large group before, and um, I know that there were clunky times. Thank you for holding through that. So uh, we come to the end of this day. If you could just stay one more minute, I think, while there are announcements being made. Yes, um, I'm Jamie, and I just first would like to pick up on the theme that you brought to us last night of joy and to express our joy and gratitude to you, Arena, for coming. And I want to express joy and gratitude to the whole community of Common Ground. Unlike the skit, our community leaders are here with us today participating, and it's so... Uh, gratifying and joyful to be together in this work. Um, And, of course, gratitude to everyone who came and worked together. I also want to let everyone know that this is an ongoing process. Many of you are already aware that our work on inclusivity and diversity has been going on for more than two years as a community. We have the Community of Color group and the Unraveling Privilege group, and it was through that group that Two years ago, Lee Rosenberg and I had a phone call with Arena, and her closing wish was, may we, through our practice, make this world more equitable. And that vision uh, really guided us in uh, making it happen to be able to uh, bring Arena to common ground, and just so grateful that it's happened. But to remember, there is a process, and it will be continuing, and there will be more information coming um, about those opportunities. And 